You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Welcome to the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host, Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. And if you're watching on YouTube and you have the visuals, you might notice things look a little bit different to how they usually look. Uh, the logos on the backdrop are a little bit bigger. That's because it's a different backdrop. Uh, and that is because on this week's show, uh, I did it in person for the first time in, I think, almost two years. We did an in-person uh, podcast, which was awesome. But it did mean we needed a bigger backdrop. and needed to rearrange things slightly in my room to be able to fit two of us in here. Now, who could it have been with, uh, you ask? And it was none other than Joe Ickenenwin. It worked quite nicely because he is, he is local to me. He's in East London as well. Um, and we had him on the show. Well, I've wanted to have him on the show for a long time, but the timing worked out well to do it now because actually he had an announcement to make. Uh, he is stepping away from basketball and officially hanging them up, uh, retiring to focus on uh, something that he's been building on the side whilst he's been playing professional basketball. The Cyber Nerds is a YouTube channel which now has something like 50 million views, maybe even more than that, uh, 100, 150,000-odd subscribers, and has become... Uh, ridiculously huge uh, and enough to support him and two of his best friends as they talk about uh, movies, games and comics. And uh, yeah, this is like the intersection of a lot of things that I'm interested in. Basketball, uh, content creation, business. Uh, so we kind of managed to chop it up about a huge amount of topics. Now, Joe, uh, as you'll hear in the podcast, I've actually known for a long time. I uh, actually played against him when I was still playing. So that shows you how uh, far far back it goes. Um, and I've kind of followed his entire career. So it's always a pleasure for me to, to kind of get to, to catch up with these guys and talk about how it's all ended up um, panning out. He is one of the good guys uh, in British basketball. Um, have always enjoyed my interactions with him over the years. And you can tell that he deeply cares about the game here and wants to see it succeed and I feel like on this podcast uh, he was particularly candid about a number of different topics talking about the league uh, talking about teams talking about player welfare player unions all that kind of good stuff um, so I think there is a lot of unique insight into it and of course because he is retiring he could be maybe a little bit more forthcoming uh, than he would otherwise be so yeah, I think this is going to go down really well, and it was definitely one of the more enjoyable podcasts uh, that I've done. As always, before we get into the show, please take two seconds to check out our Patreon account. Uh, that is uh, at patreon.com forward slash hoopsfix, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash H-O-O-P-S-F-I-X. There you can start to give us a monthly or annual contribution for as much or as little as you'd like to help us do the work that we're doing. If you believe in growing this British basketball uh, media landscape, if you uh, believe in growing this sport, uh, please help us do what we do. Go and check it out, patreon.com forward slash hoopsfix. Uh, as always, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, let me know what you think about what Joe had to say in the comments below. Uh, you can also reach out to me on social media. Uh, Sam, no, not Sam at Hoopsfix.com. That's my email, which I'm about to give you. But at Hoopsfix is my social media accounts, uh, which you can reach out to me. And if you prefer that sort of private one-on-one interaction, it is Sam at Hoopsfix.com, as I already mentioned. Anyway, I think that is enough for me. Uh, I hope you enjoy this uh, with former former London Lions uh, player, uh, Joe Ickenenwin, England International, uh, went to Commonwealth Games, had a nine-year successful um, professional basketball career, uh, and one of the nicest guys in our sport. So, yeah, enough from me. Here is this week's show. 
Joe, welcome to the show. What you know? What, yeah, thanks for having me, Sam. Appreciate it, man. It's been a, been a long time coming. Yeah. Um, obviously, we've been speaking about doing this for so long, uh, and it's the first in-person podcast I've done in a very long time as well. So I'm, it's I'm, nice to be able to do that as well. Yeah, um, I'm getting all the special treatment. <laughs> all the special treatment. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff I want to talk about. Obviously, uh, we've kind of spoken about a few different topics. But uh, starting with an announcement, obviously there's been some big changes at your end. Um, yeah. So I think that's the kind of the place to, to begin. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've been playing basketball for a long time and I'm here to announce that like I'm retiring from professional basketball, um, no longer with the London Lions. Um, yeah, and like a new phase in life is, is starting. Obviously, it's, uh, you know, we hear all the time about the transition for athletes going from you know, basketball being your life, so yeah. to speak, like all day, every day for the last, I mean, what, what age did you start playing at 14, 15? Yeah, I started playing at 14. So, um, yeah, it's a massive transition, kind of, I guess, what has made you come to that decision uh, and what what is uh, what is up next? I feel like coming to the decision was kind of like a gradual thing. I think I've always thought past, like, what's going to happen at the end of basketball, like that's always kind of been like on my mind, I've always been fo like, not focused, but I've always been interested in other things. And even when I was young and like, when some of my friends were like, yeah, I wanna play basketball, I wanna do it forever. I was always like, there's gonna be something else. Like I didn't feel like I always, even when I was playing um, and we was winning, I didn't ever feel like I wanted my whole life to be defined by how good or bad I was at basketball in it. So I think I've always done things behind the scenes that like would kind of push me or give me opportunities after. And I feel like that's what basketball did does anyway. Like when you first start, you know, we're playing for scholarships and stuff like that. And you get the scholarship and you go to university and lots of us does that, you know what I'm saying? They don't take it very seriously. Like you get the degree, but it's just like, oh, I've got a degree. But then after I feel like I was always really interested in like getting these things and like seeing what possibilities or opportunities they could open for me. So like, that's kind of why I did a master's degree at UEL. That's why um, I studied business. Like I was always interested in business, but like, I felt like it's, it's very general, but touches everything. So after basketball, it'll give you opportunity. And then obviously like during basketball, I started other like looking into other ventures as well with like I can win sports, which was like a coaching company um, providing like basketball to like primary schools and stuff like that. Um, and then I started YouTube channel with Raven and Sam, my two best friends from like childhood, where we was just talking about stuff that we talk about on the sofa, and like that was kind of obviously a passion is like there's nothing more fun than hanging out with your boys do you know what i'm saying so like that was just a thing we started and like, we kind of started that you know maybe like five years ago so and now it's just growing and growing and growing and it's like yeah like this is another passion of mine you know film and all of that other stuff so that's that's there why why now like you know i assume that you're what 33 now i'm 33 it's gonna be yeah it's my birthday in like a month okay so 30, 33 you know, I imagine as you get into your 30s, you're probably thinking about it more every off season. You're kind of thinking, okay, you know, when am I going to start making the transition, moving away from it properly? Like what made you come to that conclusion this off season? Uh, the decision was not made this off season. I want to make that clear. Like I have been thinking about it for a while, but like it just didn't seem like the right time at the time. So like the season would end. I'm like, yeah, training, boom we're back at training, we're doing this, we're doing that. But then I felt like with how last season went, um, I just felt like 
well, not, I don't want to say halfway through the season. I want to say towards the end of the season, I was like, uh, yeah, this is, this makes sense. Like, I think it's, I think it's time. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it just, it wasn't like a woke up in the morning feeling. It was just like a gradual and it was like a, like kind of having an understanding like, all right, yeah, this is it. This is it. So then I kind of like, you know, had a conversation with Vince. Me and Vince kind of spoke about it before the end of the season. And like, he told me how he felt. I t- like it was a, it was a, I don't know, like it was a heart to heart. Do you know what I'm saying? And then I think after having that conversation, not I realised I was serious, but I was just like, bam, this is happening now. Do you get me? So it was that. And I think with where the club's going, like the Lions is going as a whole, as a whole with Triple Seven coming in, like we've got a new GM, like just everything is 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 changing. I feel like it is the perfect place for me to like change as well. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like we're all going through an evolution and I felt like that this here is the right time. And I also wanted to, I also thought like when I was younger that I would never play basketball like until the end. Like I'm not going to be the like 38 year old player who were like, oh, Joe, you know, like, yeah. I don't, I never wanted to have that conversation. Like I wanted to leave on my own terms. And yeah. I feel like the terms I'm leaving on, I'm happy with. So I'm good. But then at the same time, like we're still quite early in the process. And lots of people have been like, oh, Joe, like, are you missing that idea? And I'm like, no, I'm not. Well, not yet. Do you get what I'm saying? So like, it's emotionally, it's in a whole new place, a whole new direction. So I'm just I'm just taking it as it comes right now, but yeah. Are you still working out and stuff? So you're still in shape to be able to play in scrimmage and stuff like that? Or have you completely completely stopped? No, nah, I've done something. So like, as soon as the season ended, I carried on working out with uh, Nick. Shout out to Nick. He's the um, skills trainer at London Lions. Um, we carried on working out, but then maybe like he told me to take like a week off in it because I felt like there was a day. I don't know how deep into this I want to go, but there was a day the workout wasn't going great. And I feel like it was like a, it was a mental thing. So then he was like, oh, I'll take the week off. And I took the week off and I was like, all right, that's fine. And then we're going to start training, working out again. We would be working out right now, but I wanted to prepare for the podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> so I'm here, but yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to keep training. Like, I think the training part of it is just, it's a part of your life, isn't it? Like when I see Ronnie Baker at camps at like, I don't know how old he is. I'm going to say 60 in it because he's around. 50 something. I think he's 50 oh, still. All right. I was, Ronnie, if you're listening, it was only because I was thinking of like Nigel Lloyd. I know you guys are like age mates. So I went with 60. I'm not trying to say, <laughs> I'm not trying to upset you. Definitely. Um, but yeah, when I see that, I, it does like, it doesn't shock me. Yeah. I'm just like, it's, it's, it is who you are in it. It's just not who you are, but it's a part of your life so yeah. deeply that there's just some things you probably won't ever let go. Like, so yeah, I'm going to keep working out. That's, that's fine. Are you? Funny enough, I was thinking um, before I knew you were coming, in, I was like, uh, we we have done a, a retirement announcement on the podcast before with Azania Stewart, mm. but of course she hasn't ended up retiring and she's ended up going back to to basketball, so she's sort of been back involved. And I, and I think you know, with you, do you feel like you are a hundred percent done, or do you feel like if you do feel sort of if you are missing it in the next season or two, there's a chance that you could end up coming back? I don't feel like I'm not that kind of person, is it? Like, I feel like I'm. This is the decision. Do you know what I'm saying? Listen, if in January, I got a jersey on. No one, just no one say anything. Don't DM me, please. <laughs> but I feel like this is it. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm like, I'm when I look back at what I've done and been a part of, I feel fine. I feel satisfied. I feel good about 
the whole process, the journey, where it's put me. Um, yeah, so like, I don't, I haven't felt that way at all. Do yeah. you know what I'm saying? I feel like for you, the transition, as you just kind of been saying, will be relatively easier for, for you compared to maybe some other people where, um, you know, because basketball isn't all you've got, because you have all this other stuff going on, uh, there's plenty of stuff for you to get on with. It's not like you're just now trying to work out what's next, start, trying to start a new career. It's like, it's all there. The foundation's already been laid, right? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. But sometimes I feel like that's unfair, innit? Because I was just like, yeah, well, while we was both doing basketball, I was, was like not sleeping, working on this other thing all the time. But yeah, I do think the trans the the, the transition for me is going to be a bit easier for some guys. And sometimes I worry about that as well because like I've got teammates that I know like it is so much, like it's everything for them that like, after their careers, I do sometimes think like, bruv, what are you going to fill that void with? Do you know what I'm saying? Because like, obviously like mental health is a big thing right now and stuff, but I think it's always been a big thing. But like, obviously now it's like, we're more transparent about talking about and stuff like that. And I feel like it's, a, it's something that needs to be addressed way before your even, like these ideas of retirement are coming into your mind. Like you need to think about, and I know as a sports person, you've got that mindset of invincibility. Like you have to, like you think you're the best at everything. You think you can't get injured. You can't, and it's like, all of those things are true. You can think like that, but you can also be prepared for like moving on in life. Do you get what I'm saying? Like you wouldn't show up to a game without going to practice. So like, don't just retire without something to do. Yeah, do you get yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. I feel like that makes sense in it. Do you have um, conversations with sort of younger guys coming through um, that are sort of just starting their career? And especially, I guess, you know, I think when you look at your career, where you're unique um, is that you've made it work in the UK, you mm. know, where I think so many others, I think for the vast majority, it's a case of like trying to go abroad, going different places, coming back here for a little bit, trying to go back abroad. But you've kind of made that commitment of like, you know, I'm, I'm here and this is what I'm going to do. Like when you're talking to younger players, um, what advice do you give to them when they're starting their career, especially if they're gonna looking like they're gonna be focusing on, you know, having a BBL career? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like I haven't had as much time to talk to younger players as I've wanted to. And that's obviously because the extra time I've had outside of playing basketball, I've been putting into what I'm gonna do post basketball. But now that post basketballs are here, that's one of the things that I would like to do more. And I think as an active player, Talking to younger players, they'll probably listen to you more because they know you're playing. And as a retired player, they might be like, oh, he's done and stuff like that. But where you've got something else that they can look at, that they maybe want, do you know what I'm saying? Um, I think if I was to approach them now as a retired player, captain for whatever, six years, and I've got like a maybe small little following on social media, they might be more receptive to what I've got to say because I've done it and I've done it like kind of on my own or I say on my own, but I mean like with my team outside of basketball and like it has a little bit of traction. So I would hope that they'd be um, receptive, but the kind of things I would be telling them that would have to be between me and them. Do you know what I'm saying? I think it would come down to the individual, who they are, what they want to do and just kind of how how they see their life in it. And I think it's interesting of where you was going with the conversation about like me doing it here in London, in the UK. And I think when I was younger, obviously I had, I went to Barking Abbey Basketball Academy. I had Mark Lloyd, 
uh, Mark Clark and Lloyd Gardner, these were my coaches. And I felt like these lot gave me so much advice here yeah, that like shaped my whole life. Do you get what I'm saying? Shout out to Abbey Nation and that. Um, that I just felt like I, I was fine doing things that were unconventional, but I knew like it would be the best for me. And I felt like at the time, lots of my peers um, were just doing what, you know, the road, what what was what was set in front of us. I mean, I did some of that as well. And into, I'll, I'll go deeper into it so no one feels like I'm t- telling like elusive stories. But um, so like going to the States, um, when I was young, when I was younger and I was at, basketball, at the basketball academy at Barking, all I was thinking was like, I've got to go to the States, got to go to the States, got to go to the States, nothing else, got to go to the States. Um, and then I think Mark brought me in his office one day and was like, Joe, look, there's other options. Then he sent me to like a under 21 tryout in France. Can't remember what the team was. Went and practiced there and I was like, rah, this is, this is legit. Like they've got um, big arenas, facilities, like looked after. Like I had never experienced that kind of, I don't know, just level of organization at that age yet. So I was like, all right, cool. There are other options, but I feel like sometimes with the younger players, they'll see that and they'll be like, don't matter, America. America, America is what it, where it's at, and I feel like this is just like kind of the wrong way of thinking. But then it just depends on what you want to do. So anyway, I'm gonna skip all of that. I still make the decision to go to the states because everyone's going to the states, and I'm not saying that's why I made the decision. I felt like for me, that's what I wanted to do, and the team from France didn't want me, so <laughs> that weren't gonna work out. So uh, go to states. Uh, shout out to Duncan, um, do training and that. He, he spoke to his junior college coach, uh, Coach Tom Mills, who was at um, Seminole State Junior College, went over there, did three years there, redshirted my first year because I got injured, um, then played the second year, uh, played my second and third year, got an offer from South Carolina State University um, in the Miyakis Division One. Shout out to all the Bulldogs out there who are listening, none of them. <laughs> but yeah, uh, went there, did two years, came back, and then I think this is really when the whole, what are we doing, staying in the UK or are we going to go to Europe debate conversation was really coming up because like Newcastle had reached out to me, like I feel like day one of graduation, like straight away, like Joe, come here. And I had an agent at the time, can't remember his name, sorry if you're listening, Um and he was like, nah, we ain't going to the BBL, Joe. Nah, no BBL, you're gonna destroy your whole career. We're not doing that, no, no, no. And this was the general consensus. I'm 24 years old at this time. And like all I've ever heard about the BBL is that it's not good. Do you know what I'm saying? And personally, I don't know, I've never actually been to a game. And like, you think about that, like you're, maybe I had been to a game, but no, nah, I don't think I had actually. I feel like I'd been to Division One games because I'd been playing for a Division One team. I played for the uh, the London Leopards with Duncan um, and Lloyd at the time. Lloyd was still playing. So I was I was part of that magic. Um, so yeah, I was like, well, I've lost my chain of thought. You just saying that, that he was saying don't go to the BBL. He was like, don't go to the yeah. BBL. Yeah. So then I'm like, all right, cool. I'm not going BBL. Fuck that. Um, so, but bear in mind, I'm just fresh out of college. I'm back at home in London training. The Olympics are on. Um, you graduated in 2012 
2000 is that was it 12 13 or the olympics it was either on or just finished yeah it was 2012 you graduated yeah, oh, yeah there you yeah. go listen don't get me on a date so making me look bad <laughs> yeah all right but yeah i remember the olympics was on all right so i'm at home olympics is on and i'm just like right what am i gonna do now newcastle have offered and i've not heard anything else from anywhere else and i'm like this is mad get me my agents like gets to september now august september and he's like look you're not signing there in the BBL we're not doing that we're just gonna we're gonna wait it out like by Christmas people are gonna get fired someone's gonna offer you a job but like obviously rookie year I'm getting nervous now and like he knows I'm getting nervous we're going back and forth all the time and I'm just and he's just like all right look Joe whatever all right cool look if you want to do it your way go to Newcastle now go to Newcastle now and uh I feel like Fab knew like obviously Fab Fab Flanoy Newcastle legend he knows everything like he already he probably knew like he's he's dealt with hundreds of players I guess like he he already knew that maybe that I didn't want to play in the BBL and I've held out and now I'm here and my plan is to have a good game and leave straight away like this is what my agent's telling me Joe be selfish when you get the ball don't pass don't do I'm I'm just keeping it a buck in it this is what was going on but like that's not really the kind of player I am you get me like that I understand I'm not dropping 30 every game but, so then this happens now, and then for whatever reason, I'm getting benched. You get me? I'm getting benched. I'm in Newcastle. I do have great players on my team. Charles Smith, I'll probably say, like, one of the greatest players I've ever watched play and play with. Um, Joe Chapman, he was a two-time MVP at the time. Um, we had Kareem Maddox, who had just signed with Newcastle, and him and Fab didn't get on very well, but he was a savage. You know what I'm saying? He was getting, like... 20 and 20 listen if I'm if I'm missing anyone else out I'm sorry but yeah these guys like this is my rookie year in it so like these guys left a real impact on me um but like um there was a game where I feel like everyone was injured so like everyone was injured I got to play it was against Durham was um in Newcastle played well get me so now my agent's like Joe we've got the game we're sending it to everyone so now I'm starting getting to offers from Europe do you get what I'm saying and I'm like oh this is so he knows what he's talking about. It's working. But then later, it gets to the end of the season. So he's like, look, we're set up for next season. But then I talk to Vince, um, kind of in the off season. And Vince is like, he's, he's, he's telling me the whole spill. Like, yo, we're moving to the copper box. We're doing this. And I had thought about going to London when I was at Newcastle. But I was like, brother, I'm not playing at Crystal Palace. Do you know what I'm saying? This is where it was. Like, obviously, growing up, I'd played at Crystal Palace all the time and loved it. They were some of the best games, you know what I'm saying? Towers. Like, like just towers. You know that environment? Yeah. That environment of, like, it's hot, it's sweaty, there's bare kids here. You used to have youth games there. Everything was fire. Do you know what I'm saying? But then I was just like, no, I'm not going... Like, as a professional, I'm not doing that. Like, I don't like it. Um, so the whole copper box thing really sold me. So I was like, raw, like, I'd live round the corner from my house. Um, friends and family could see me and like I've been in Newcastle for a year and if I'm going to be in the UK it probably makes sense to be at home but then on the other hand I was like Joe we just did this whole year just to get these offers from Europe and I'm looking at these these offers and I'm like they're 500 600 maybe a thousand euros more than what Lions are offering me but I'm like Joe like the thousand pounds like we can make that at home and if we start making it at home now, like extra, like, and we that stay here forever, we can be fine. Do you know what I'm saying? It makes sense. So obviously I study business. Not that this is a huge business decision, but like this is, I'm just trying to say you the inner workings of how my mind works. And obviously I'm, I'm like 25 now. 
I'm like, yeah, this is this is what I'm gonna be on. So then, uh, so you had made that decision at that time that London was gonna be a long term move, like playing. In yeah, London I didn't tell I didn't tell London this because obviously if I tell London this, the leverage is gone. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm never getting a new contract. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to be that rookie deal. Or that. I, I still call it a rookie deal because I feel like I went there for like peanuts. But obviously, in my mind, bigger picture things were there, innit? And yeah. my year in Newcastle, which, what I would say is my worst basketball year, like I didn't really enjoy the basketball there. The people there, the community there is amazing. The business, like everyone, Paul Blake and them, like, they are great people. But like, just for my first year, going there late, feeling like I wasn't getting the opportunity, just all of those kind of like internal basketball dialogues players have with each other. I felt like I was really going through it. Um, but yeah, the the business and, and the work side of what I was seeing at Newcastle, I was like, rah, that, and I always say like, this was, it was one of the best decisions going there, even if it was by force, because I just learned how basketball organisations, I'm going to say, should be. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, and I also like saw some of their school programs and I, and that was the big thing. This is how I come in sports kind of started. I was like, oh, right, this hoops they help the thing works. I could, I've got a couple of connections. I know a couple of people who might help me in London. I could do something similar. And that's how the birth of I come in sports started. And I started doing that. And this is my plan to make extra money while playing professionally. So that kind of goes well. So I'm there and I'm doing that. And I feel like that answers your question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's, there's a bunch of stuff to to unpick in there. One thing I did want to pick up on just quickly was um, you speaking about you know the level of Charles uh, and and Kareem and, and and them. Were you surprised? Obviously, you said that there was the perception of the BBL is potentially going to ruin your career or whatever, yeah. and you don't want to go there. Were you surprised at the level? Do you think the BBL is a lot higher? Was, was well at that time was the level higher than you than you expected? And then even now to this day, do you think it doesn't get the credit that it deserves in terms of the level? I'm gonna say a hundred percent, but then like no one knows. Like as a player, yeah, <clears throat> who's just played in college, and you haven't played in a BBL, you don't know. That's it, and it, I feel like people just like you're just there's just labels in it. NBA number one, whatever. ACB number two. Like you just going down the list, and you think this is what it is. So ten, ten, ten places down the list isn't very good. No matter who, what league you think it is. But that's not the truth. Do you know what I'm saying? For every like, for whatever reason, there's players all over the place. There's guys who've played in the NBA in the BBL. There's guys who used to play in the NBA in the BBL. There's guys in the NBA who maybe shouldn't even be there. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not always down to whose ability, who's the best, and all. like you can end up anywhere. Do you know what I'm saying? And the BBL has good players. Do you know what I'm saying? The British players are good. They don't get enough credit for it, and and someone out there is doing some decent recruiting or some of these players have just got really good agents and they know, listen, go to the BBO, average 18 and I can get you a mid-level job somewhere else and then listen, it's just a staircase effect. Do you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I feel like the league definitely doesn't get enough credit for the quality of players it has, especially the British players. So, yeah, I feel like British players just undervalued, underappreciated and, yeah. Can you understand the rationale from teams that a British player is so much more expensive that it's easier to bring in cheap Americans uh, to fill those spots and then obviously it, ends, it means that the British players end up seeing less minutes on the floor? I mean, I can understand the logic, but it's not going to help the sport. And like all these people that use that logic will say they're trying to help the sport, but that's a contradiction, isn't it? So, Do, do you think it's more important 
that the league is as high level as possible, regardless of the nationality of players? Or do you think actually it would be more beneficial that the league was maybe, if the league was maybe a little bit like, maybe it wouldn't be, but maybe the league was a little bit lower, but actually it was led and it was the British players that were the stars and saw the majority of the minutes across all, all rosters. I think it depends on who you want to be as a league. And if you want to be like the Premiership, like the Premiership, like the British players aren't the best players. Do you know what I'm saying? We bring in other players, the imports, but it's the best league in the world. Now you got the Spanish league, like the best players there are Spanish. It's maybe more enjoyable to watch. Maybe culturally it has more impact on the, the city. And then if we're talking about, and then you've got to take money into consideration as well. So I don't know if I was running it, I would be like, I'm focusing on my British players because that's going to raise the level of international teams, um, national league teams, and just grass. Like if, if all the best players, like if when I go and look at the BBL, I'm seeing the best British players as a kid, it's going to make me want to aspire to that. But if I'm seeing all the best British players want to run off somewhere else and do that, that's what, that's also what I'm going to do. Like, and that's got nothing to do with what the players say. Like I can be here and say, oh guys, look, you got to stay in the BBL. Well, obviously I did it. So they might listen to me and be like, oh, Joe was successful doing it. But like, if you're not, if you've not done that, they're not going to listen to you. Even if you're telling them when I did it, it was a mistake. They're just going to follow your path and make the same mistake you did. So yeah. It's the continuity as well. And I think uh, it's, it's, I think over the last few years, one of the things that has sort of changed is we're seeing more Americans stick around for a little bit longer. Yeah. Like, um, oh, you know, Roman Fletcher obviously has been around a, a little while. Gino's just signed his second year. Like, uh, But at the same time, it's very hard to if if you don't have players that are around for a long time, which a lot of Americans come in on a on a one year deal, and then like you said, they get the eyeballs on them, and then mm. then go to another league. Um, to then you've then got new players coming in, you've then got to build the connection with the fans again, build that following again. You're starting from scratch every single year. Where if you can have that continued continuity of roster, I feel like it helps push everything. Yeah, I mean that's just Sam. I believe that's just common sense, isn't it? Like, all right, Joe was born and raised in Stratford, and we play at the Copper Box. Just put Joe's face on all of the posters in it. Now, someone's going to be like, well, Joe's not our leading scorer. Joe doesn't do this. Joe doesn't do that. Yeah, but like, we're not the NBA. Yeah. It's not like a LeBron James thing where worldwide, like, this is known. The majority of the people walking past this poster see basketball player and potent- may, may be a basketball player that has walked past them in the street before. Like... It just makes more sense to me than having a picture of an American guy who next year we can't use this poster anymore. No do you know what I'm saying? He's playing somewhere else. Like he's got no allegiance to the club or whatever. So there's that. I mean, just I don't know. I feel like it's just normal marketing one on one stuff. But I don't yeah. know. And Americans staying around. I feel like it's in their interest too now, especially with like when you look at like what Fab was doing. You bring in uh, even Fab himself because he's American, isn't it? Like, but. You've got American players, you bring them in, they stay for a long time. Maybe they build families here, they get married and bang, now they're British. And now I've got five naturalised American players with British passports and I can bring in another five Americans and I've got 10 Americans. Do you know what I'm saying? I feel like that's a slippery slope, isn't it? But it's a very I'm not running slope. the clubs. And that's the thing is that the, the clubs will argue, I, had a, I, had a, I always have this conversation with various people, but uh, I think on the podcast I had a conversation with Dave Forrester about it. Um, where ultimately a lot of the justification comes with, well, we don't make the rules and it's within the rules, you know? But actually, I feel like, in my mind anyway, there is a moral to, moral duty that if we're trying to grow the game, trying to drive the game forward, actually it should be about, well, what's best for the game? And I think, 
you know, it has to center around British players. Yeah, let's go back to that contradiction I was talking about. Do you get what I'm saying? It doesn't make se- it doesn't make sense to me. But then obviously, as a player, it's not going to make sense to me. As an owner or someone who's got an invested stake in your club doing well, you might see it differently. And then it just, I think it just gets sticky in it because it's like people ain't getting paid enough. And yeah, I don't want to go down this road. I don't want to go down this road, but you get what I'm saying. Like, yeah. it doesn't make sense to me. Like, British players should be should be the focus. Period. That should like that should be in the rules. You get me? It's in the rules in some leagues. You mentioned pay there. If you if you you know you don't necessarily need to go into figures of, of what your contracts are worth, but if you weren't um, if you didn't have your stuff going on the side, whether it's I can win sports, whether mm-hmm. it's cyber nerds, if you were just focusing on your basketball and living off your basketball wage. Mm. Do you feel like over the last, was it not eight years, nine year career you've had, do you feel like you would have uh, been able to live well, save money, be secure for the future on the contracts that you had? No. <laughs> no. Um, no. Do you think a lot of your British counterparts are able to? Some of them. Probably the ones that don't play in the BBO. Unless, I don't know. It de- it depends on how you dis- consider living comfortably and all this other stuff. But I would say no, like, no, definitely not. And I feel like it's an issue. I feel like it's an issue that everyone's going to keep ignoring. And I feel like it's also why we can't focus on British players. Like, I feel like it's all tied into the same thing. So, I mean, there's definitely some guys that are probably like now, now. And I'm t- when I say now, I mean maybe like the last two, three years who are British getting paid, I don't even want to say for their worth because I feel like just generally like everyone should get, uh, this is never going to happen, but everyone should just get paid how they get paid in the NBA. I feel like that if you're playing a professional league, due to the fact that like we're all destroying our bodies for other people's entertainment. But outside of that in our league, uh, I feel like there's a couple guys that are fine. Yeah, they, sh- they should be all right. I mean, they're still going to have to find something to do after basketball unless they're very savvy outside of basketball. I feel like that's just going to be... That's a component for everyone who doesn't play in the NBA. And even some guys in the NBA are savvy outside of it. And you know what I'm yeah. saying? But it depends on down to you as an individual and how, and how you want to live. But no, nah, I feel like everyone should get paid more. Even the people who are already getting paid more than me. Do you think... it Like, what would you say if the clubs countered that with, well, we just don't have the budgets to be able to do it? I would just tell the players not to show up. I mean, like, I mean, if I, sorry, wait. If they was like, uh, they can't, they can't do that. I just wouldn't believe them. Do you know what I'm saying? No, I wouldn't believe them. I feel like it's your job to pay the players appropriately. Do you know what I'm saying? To make them be able to live in decent stand. Like, do you know what I'm saying? That's just normal fundamental things of like being a human being. Do you know what I'm saying? Like we need to live right. We need to eat right. We need to get to practice. Do you know what I'm saying? And I think a lot, a lot of the issues I dealt with being a captain sometimes was like things that guys worried about things that they shouldn't have to worry about as a professional basketball player. Do you know what I'm saying? For, so, for example? Having enough money. Do you get what I'm saying? Like that shouldn't be an issue. Like... Just, bruv, just get to practice. Let's just talk about your jump shot, innit? But in, in, instead, the issues are, they want me to do this. They want. I don't want to get too into it because, like, I've only played at a couple teams. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. just guys, guys, guys have issues that sometimes I was always concerned about. Like, rah, man, you shouldn't have to worry about this right now. You get me? Yeah. That was involved in basketball. That was 
stuff outside of basketball that you just shouldn't have to worry about. You shouldn't have to worry about it, get me? And I feel like if players were getting paid more, lots of these feelings and things would be alleviated. But if if the teams don't have the budget, like if, so if the salary cap is what the salary cap is. Which needs to change. Needs to go up. 100%. Like, but then, but what happens if there isn't, the, like if there if physically isn't the money flowing through the franchise, if there's not enough money coming in, in terms of like ticket sales, uh, in terms of uh, TV be... revenue, in terms of merchandise sales, like if there isn't enough money to increase the salary cap to be able to pay players more, then what's the solution? Like, do you think that it just, well, then you, it's not a professional league, you don't call it such, and it should be something else? I think, yeah, something definitely has to happen. There needs to be rules and regulations around these things. Like, I feel like the state of some of the facilities needs to improve. Like, I feel like some arenas shouldn't, I mean, they're not even arenas, but for some places where we play games, I don't think should be allowed. I feel like if you don't have a dedicated changing room for players to get changed, uh, it's not a, it's not a professional basketball facility I feel like there should be more rules and regulations around that stuff if you can't keep up then you shouldn't be in the league and I, it might be a harsh way of thinking it and I might be putting people out of jobs but at the same time it's like people are getting exploited and like like you said it's about your morals and, and how you think about like people in general like I I need players to be okay do you know what I'm saying because I if everyone, I don't, I feel like I am quite savvy outside of basketball and not everyone's like that. And it's not even their responsibility to be savvy outside of basketball. But like the thought of people getting exploited, especially players, which are like, usually like young black men and stuff like that, or young men in general, like I feel like I just don't want to be involved in that. Do you know what I'm saying? Or I would want to try and help as much as possible for these kind of things to not be happening. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's a sticky one though. It it is sticky, but like, it is a sticky one. Like because I'm like I'm trying to think if I if I if I run a franchise, uh, and there just wasn't the money. Well, in my mind, actually, if I there wasn't the money, I would do you run not a franchise. Think, exactly. Firstly, there's that, but second, don't you think that you'd be failing at your that? Like, that's their job. Yeah. That's their responsibility. Yeah, you're coming to like I sh- it's not my responsibility. Like don't like that's yeah. not a conversation. Like. I'm not gonna come to the GM or like not maybe not the GM, but like I'm not coming to the owner of the club and saying, "Yo, my jump shirts, my jump, my jumpers off." He's gonna be like, "Why are you telling me? Go to the gym." The same way, yeah. Go find some more business advisors. Look at other avenues of making income, and do like that's your responsibility, bro. Yeah, but then wouldn't you say that? Uh, well, then the player shouldn't sign the contract in the first place. Listen, yeah, hundred percent. But like I said, lots of guys aren't savvy and even some of the savvy guys understand the situation they're in. Like me, like I'm coming out of um, um, South Carolina State University. I want to play professional, but I want to play professional basketball. The option to just go and get a regular job is there. It is there, but I am choosing to do that. So you also know what you're getting into. But that's it. Like that's that's the, I don't know, that's the the trap, isn't it? Yeah. If you just want to, get a regular job and, and do that and have an unlimited amount of money that you can make, then yeah, you can do that. But if you want to be a professional basketball player, this thing that they wave in front of you is something that's super shiny and can get you everything you want and you can live this kind of lifestyle, which you can't with how much they pay you, you're going to sign a contract, isn't it? And then obviously if you only got one offer, you got one offer. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? So it, can't, it just comes down to the individual, the kind of advice they're getting and stuff like that. I feel like there's so many people out there that should have just maybe stopped and did something else. Basketball's always going to be there. 
Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't have to be in a professional capacity. I feel like this is going off, man. We're, <laughs> we're, we're out there right no, now. It's good. It's good. Um, yeah, on the on the topic of uh, of players signing contracts and welfare and all that kind of stuff, is the one that has come up, always comes up, is this player union, right? That, yeah. You know, we've had plenty of players that have uh, retired and have said there needs to be a union. Um, there obviously used to be a union back in the day. You know, I've had conversations with various people, including you, about potentially setting up a union. Mm. Why do you think that we haven't seen that happen yet? Why hasn't it happened? Um, yeah, what are the barriers that's that's stopping it? Uh, I mean, obviously there's the financial barriers, but I also think that if you're savvy enough to know that we need a union, you're probably savvy enough to do something else. Do you know what I'm saying? And if there's not the money that's going to fund it, you're probably like, this is very close to my heart, but I've got to feed my family now. And you spoke about retired players and we were talking about retired players potentially not having a plan after. That could be your plan after, but you'd have to, you'd probably be poor unless you worked as a second job and all of that kind of stuff. And if you don't, then, if you're not the correct player then, who has the right connections throughout the league and maybe some teams are going to listen to you and a large percentage or the, the majority percentage of the players are going to listen to you, you're facing a very, very uphill battle. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? So those would be barriers that I would definitely see. Like sometimes I, I worry about like my perception in the league. Like I'm sure there's plenty of guys that don't like me, which is fine because I probably don't like you either. No, I'm joking. <laughs> now, but what I'm saying is like with that, it's like because um, I've only played for two teams even though I've had loads of teammates if you're not ever been on my team you probably don't know what I'm like you just see game day Joe I don't talk to no one I'm not friendly that is it so then obviously it's hard to then me to be like oh I'm this friendly guy like off in the off season sometimes I feel like yeah, no, no, Joe you're just you know what I'm saying like I'm just Joe it's what it is it's how I am it's just how I am yeah. get me but if you've been on my team you understand like yo Joe will do anything for us like I get it all the time like it's like in the first two weeks of getting new teammates especially if they've played in the league be like Joe I thought you was an arsehole you know I'm like I am but you know it's just it's, it's who I am it's my job in it so I feel like these are the kind of things that you've got to take into consideration when trying to bring people together and sometimes like when there's, there's no framework for that ahead of time, like none of my, the veteran players was like, oh, Joe, sat, sitting me down and being like, oh, look, this is this is what we've got to do. Do you know what I'm saying? There's no pathway from that through the players, which I feel like is an issue. Um, so you, you don't know these things. You don't know what you don't know. How much do players communicate sort of throughout the season like is it or, or even in the off season is it mainly uh, you only really communicate with your teammates or, or is there a lot of communication between between you guys sort of um, across the league I can only tell you about me like for me I'm talking well obviously I'm talking to my teammates every day every day we talk, we're together every day or that's normal outside of that I would say I rarely talk to guys on other teams even if we're really good friends <clears throat> so like all in Jackman I use all of me and all I went to junior college together uh, Seminole State, Gold Trojans and that. Um, during the season, we might talk four or five times. Do you know what I'm saying? That And that's a stretch. I feel like I'm being generous there. And we'll see each other at games. We'll probably maybe do the handshake if it's a very, like, we're in a back, we're in a corridor, no one can see us. But if we're on the court, he knows and I know we ain't talking we ain't, we ain't there's no there's nothing going on here like we just understand 
that's a, that's how me and him work. Do you get what I'm saying? Now, I'm like that all the time. So it's obviously, if you didn't go to school with me for a year, you might just be like, rah, like, yeah, it's just a brick wall here. Get me? But yeah, so not really, not not a lot. But then I'm sure there's other guys that are talking to other guys on their team, yeah. talking about what's going on in the group chat and all of that. And I'm just not, I'm just not, it's not the kind of person I am. So yeah. I'm not saying I that. say that to say like, you know, when guys are signing contracts or have questions about things that they're like, oh, this seems a bit suspect. Never. Do you know what? Yeah. No, I don't feel like, I feel like maybe one time in the whole nine year professional career has someone come up to me and been like, this is in my contract. Is this weird? And also I like, I feel like I'm one of the guys who have been a bit more outward with certain things that have happened in my contract. So if there was someone to reach out to, I feel like you'd want to reach out to me because I've been vocal about it. Or you you might feel like you could be. But then is that down to how my demeanour is? They're all thinking like, oh, I want to talk to Joe about it, but I can't. But I feel like in those kind of situations, like we're dealing with your life, innit? Like you should just reach out if 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 you think you need to. Or to someone older or someone you know, do you know what I'm saying? It doesn't have to be so, me. So all of you as players don't know what each other are earning. I mean, I'm sh- I'm going to say for the most part, no. Yeah. See, it's interesting. That's the way, like, obviously talking about salaries outside of basketball, like just talking about salaries in, in a workplace is mm. very taboo. Mm. Uh, I'm not quite sure why that is, but the only person that benefits from that is the it's, company it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. when actually if 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 uh, employees talk then they're like oh well hang on a minute you just started i've been working in five years and now you're earning more than me that doesn't make any sense and you know what i mean like and it's the same thing like if players don't talk and that's why i love talking to players and speaking about salaries and the amount of money and all that mm. kind of stuff to give people ballpark figures to understand mm. like kind of what is going on um because yeah it puts the power back into you know people asking questions and and stuff like that yeah but i see and i think this is one of the issues with like maybe British basketball maybe British basketball players or just our community in general is that like we don't really communicate very well and we should but we also feel like if we do communicate there's going to be like negative repercussions and there will be but the the positive ones will outweigh the negative ones you know what I'm saying like so I felt like there should always been like a captain's player chat in the BBL and if there is I'm not part of it <laughs> um, but there should be stuff like that needs to needs to happen I mean I remember being at the Commonwealth Games 2018 with what I would say is like some of the best British basketball players in the league at the time and ask us kind of having conversations about unions and money and it was it was brought up by me because at the time I was doing my master's degree on British basketball player contracts because you know I'm into business and why not? Do you know what I'm saying? So I was bringing it up, but it's just like everyone, I just feel like everyone's kind of scared. And it's like, because we are in a business where you're not paid millions and millions of pounds, the fear of losing that job means you've got nothing. Yeah. And then if you've got no transferable skills, you've got nothing. Do you know what I'm saying? So then it's like, well, I'm not going to be part of that that group that had to do the lockout for the the kids coming up in five years to get paid how much they're supposed to get paid. Like, that is a big sacrifice to make when you ain't got, you know what I'm saying, a lot of money in a bank. And then also you might you might just get blackballed in general. Yeah. Do, do, you, think, uh, <clears throat> do you think there's also potential embarrassment around it? Because 
in some cases, it's such a small amount of money that you know guys are being considered a professional basketball player, but actually only getting paid five hundred pounds a month or whatever, uh, and they don't so they don't want to speak publicly about it because then people will know that actually they're willing to accept a, a low amount of money. I mean, the question is, do you want more money? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, there might be embarrassment about it, but the, like it goes two ways, isn't it? Like, either you say nothing and you are getting like if you're only getting five hundred pound a month, you can only live like you're getting five hundred pound a month, so they're gonna see. Or you can talk about it and try and work on this as a as a whole. But then even even with that, like, should it be that one guy who's getting five hundred pound a month's responsibility? But then obviously the guy who's getting ten bags a month, he's gonna think, why am I gonna sacrifice my ten bags for him to get one bag more? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, because he thinks he's fine, even though he doesn't know. Like, well, if I help him. I could potentially be on a hundred bags. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, bro, the cycle, the cycle, like, just the thought process behind all of these things, I think is crazy. But coming together and talking about it is, is definitely going to help everyone. I believe. Do you do? You, but do you see that ever actually happening? Knowing I, what you know, having been in it for so long, like the culture around it, like, do you see a situation where players will actually come together and be like, do you know what? Let's uh, let's start the revolution and, and change some things. I'm gonna. I've got to be optimistic and say yeah. Because I think we've started to have conversations and even though the conversations that we've had have kind of died down, I do think like if I was able to do some of the things I want to do, then yeah, like it could still maybe happen. But it depends because it's like, depends on how involved, not like I'm going to stay, but it's like, let's say now there's kind of separation between me and like basketball in general, returning in five years, once I've done something else or something else has gone successful or not gone successful, to then do something like this, people might be like, mm, you're not involved. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it gets sticky. And But I also feel like that kind of stuff is also done to negate, you know, the unions and the things that are going to progress, the players part of it forward yeah. as well. Yeah. But then I'm just going to cross my fingers and hope like, you know, Triple Seven are coming in, they've got some nice, bright ideas. And it would be in whoever's running the league's interest for the players to be looked after in it. Because if you're doing that, if you want to be taken seriously, some of these other leagues have these things. And it's actually a good way to like leapfrog the, I'm not, I'm going to say the level perception. Because like, let's say we've got, we've got the issue of uh, the level of basketball in the BBL, people believe, perceive it not to be great. But then if our infrastructure was amazing, would be leaders in the market in that. Do you get what I'm saying? And that would be something, like, that would increase, like, it would just look like we was way ahead of where we was. And then, do you know what yeah. I'm saying? That starts to change the perception from a different angle. Yeah. But I don't know if that... Yeah, man. I, as you, like, I think perception is such a big part of it. And I think it's something that um, the British British basketball, not just, not just the BBL, uh, British basketball as a whole gets so, so wrong, where, like, actually things can be almost exactly as they are but you as they are but you can dress it up in a way that it makes it look so much better that oh, all of a sudden it's just like funny enough uh well there's, there's two examples i have that come to mind obviously one is what we did with academy leagues you know f in 2014 or whatever it was previously it was an under 19 schools competition and now it's called the abl wabl it's effectively very similar to what it was well it's changed a little bit now but it just has a sort of a covering that all of a sudden it's become a thing and the perception of it is a lot more positive. And even I was at, um, you know, Nama runs a CBL 
uh, in London. I was at CBL finals um, weekend before last, where they had like under 12s, <coughs> under 14s, under 16s, under 18s, <coughs> and they're set up. They're set up in there at Capital City Academy in terms of they'd invest in lights, they had invested in branding, and all of a sudden it's like the video from it, like it looks legit. It's a different world, <clears throat> um, and that's what. That's what galvanizes the interest, raises the interest, and obviously then you get more people involved, more people want to come to games, make more money, sort of grows the economy, and sort of everything becomes a, a snowballing effect. Uh, but I'm, yeah, I, I feel like the BBL and, and, and the federations on both of those points are, are very far behind um, where ideally sort of we'd want them to be. There's so many different things to go into. I'm aware we've been going like 45 minutes already right. um, and barely touched on, on a bunch of stuff. Uh I'm thinking in terms of order where to go, but um, I definitely want to talk about just the early days, your early years playing. Mm. Uh, obviously, starting at East London Royals under Humph, um, you know, what that was like as an experience, um, you know, one of the sort of legendary programs in London and East London, um, and kind of how you got your start in the game. Yeah, well, my start in the game came at 14. I was just wandering around school. Wasn't particularly interested in school at the time. Um <clears throat> Got into a little bit of trouble um, with the police and that. Don't tell anyone. Um, and then my PE teacher used to follow me around every day and be like, Joe, you're the tallest kid in school. You've got to be on a basketball team. I was like, nah, I want to play football. I want to, nah, I want to play football. And then <clears throat> the football dream didn't work because they were trying to make me be in goal. And I was like, bro, I'm definitely a striker. Like, it just didn't work out. Anyway, so like my teacher keeps following me around. And then one day he's like, look, Joe, come basketball practice one time. Don't like it. Never have to come back again. I'm like, all right, cool. I definitely want you to stop following me to my maths class. So I'm going. So I went to basketball that day, had the best time ever. And I was like, he Jedi mind tricked me. I don't know how he did this, but now I'm into it. And I just started going every single day. Um, I feel like two months in, one day there was like a really large old white man sitting in a corner. It's Humphrey Long. I've got no respect at the time because I just don't know who he is. He's a legend. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, and he's like, look, come down to Whitechapel. Um, and yeah, and just see what it's like. And it's it's crazy because I think even before, when I started playing at school, my dad was like, oh, I'm going to find you a basketball team to play at. And I'm, I don't think I've ever told anyone this, but the first basketball session I actually went to outside of like the school training was a Hackney White Heat session. Do you know what I'm saying? I went there um, and it was mad. And I was like, that was my first basketball session. I, was, I think I was still pretty fat this time. I was a fat kid. Um, so then I was just like, rah, this is mad. But then my dad was like, oh yeah, we got to keep going. I was like, cool. But then logistically at the time where I went to school and where I lived, getting to where I was, like my dad would have to take me. And I was like, this is not, it's not going to work in it. So then we, and this is where um, the Humphrey Long thing, he'd come to the school and then we'd gone to Whitechapel and then realised, oh, like this is actually doable. So then I start going to Whitechapel, meet Raven. I met Raven and Raven went to my school. Um, so we're we're like now going to everywhere together basketball wise and uh, Mr. Long's there Chris Morgan's there and like all of the older guys was there as well and I felt like East London was just like the perfect place like I met so many of my friends that I still have to today like my closest friends there um, it was just a great experience like Mr. Long just had a way of talking to everyone and everyone getting it and everyone understanding it's like later on like you kind of see like coaching stars like oh you have to talk to different people differently and I was like right like that's mad because Mr. Hum like, Mr. Long I still call him Mr. Long kind of like spoke to everyone the same and everyone got it maybe it's because of how old he was or maybe he just had a different understanding on 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 how to coach but he never stood up 
never did anything. Like he just sat, but everyone got it. And I felt like those were some of the best, like when I think of pure basketball memories, having fun, it was there. Um, yeah. And then I used to love the best, the best games was when White Heat came in because it was like, I, I don't know how they do it now, but like when they used to come in, it'd be like, um, East London are playing, East London Royals are playing White Heat, but it's every age group. So it starts at under 12s, under 12s are playing, then under 14s, under 16s, under 18s, back to back. And then White Heat are our rivals in it. Like they're our biggest rivals. So it was like, I don't know, it was a soul bumping in there. I just remember, like I just remember playing in like an under 14s game and then watching the under 16s play and being like, these guys are incredible. And then you see the under 18s and like, these men are grown men. Do you know what I'm saying? And then this was like my first experience, like seeing guys like um, Paul Guid, um, Juju, Darius. Um, and then we had we had some guys on our team and we had um, Randy. I mean, ov- obviously I'm talking about at age group, we was all the guys. Do you know what I'm saying? And I just, I love that. Obviously playing against Brixton as well. Brixton was, Brixton had um, Justin and Matt at the time. And I was like, they were like really good. But I felt like with Eastland, with our two teams, it was like our whole teams were stacked. And like this was, it was just a, just great events, man. I feel like those were some of the fun times of basketball. Like super fun. How did the transition then happen to Barking Abbey? To Barking Abbey. So um, I'm I'm playing at East London Royals. I uh, make it to the England team, under 16s, under 18s. Um, but and I'm finishing secondary school. I went to um, Brampton Manor in East Ham. It's now Brampton Academy. Um, and I'm thinking about where to go for sixth form. And I know this coach, um, Paolo, um, he worked at St. Bonds and he was like from the area I knew, I knew him very well and he was like oh Joe come to St. Bonds boom 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 do this and I was like alright cool I'm going to come there but at this time when it came to the education side I was still a bit all over the place do you know what I'm saying like I still wasn't kind of taking education seriously so I was just like let me go St. Bonds and they had a court which was available all day and this was the kind of selling point for me at the time. I was like, well, Joe, you can just train, train, train. So I ended up going there training and like rarely ever going to class. Yeah, like I'm fully exposing my whole life here, innit? So just get me. I'm not saying be like me. I'm just saying like this is what happened in my life. Um, so I was just training every day, rarely going to class. And then the end of that year came, my exams came around. I just didn't show up. Like I'm just super irresponsible. Don't do this. Things you get, you commit to, finish them. Get me. But this is one of the lessons I was learning. So I didn't show up to my exams. Um, obviously, didn't do well. But then at the end of that, going into the next school year, they're willing to take me back. Do you know what I'm saying? But I think that was the summer. Went away with England, and I met Mark Lloyd. Uh, Mark Clark. Mark Lloyd. His name is stuck in my yeah. head. Uh, met met Mark Clark. Um, and kind of he kind of like broke it down to me like oh look I'm starting Barking Abbey come here it'll be good for you we're mixing the basketball with the school and I just remember the conversation where he was just like look but you've got to I don't even know if he knew maybe he did know about how I was acting at school at the time but I didn't think he knew and the way he was just like he was like oh but you kind of got to take education seriously if you want to go to America and in my head the America thing was full force and I was like oh he finessed me so good. Do you know what I'm saying? So then coming into Barking Abbey, so I'm like, all right, look, I'm not going back to St. Bonds. 
going to Bar Canabi and I also felt like it was good for me because it was a bit out of the way. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't like in the ends. Like it was a bit, it's a barking, isn't it? Like, now I think about it, it's like it's not far at all. But when you're like 17, like it's a mission. Do you know what I'm saying? So like start going to Bar Canabi and then that was just it. Yeah. Turned into like a model student, great role model. Like I was motivated. Like anything them guys told me, I would have done. Do you know what I'm saying? I just believed. I believed in Mark Clark 100%. So, and for context for people as well, you know, this was this you were the first in the first cohort first of Barking Abbey, the first yeah. class, yeah. So it wasn't like you know, Barking Abbey Basketball Academy had a reputation as it does now, like it was an unknown, completely unknown quantity, and you were the first cohort. Do you know what? Yeah, let me run this back because I'm, if Andrea's listening to this, she's gonna kill me. Because when I was going to St. Bonds, I was playing for them, but I was also playing for Hackney Community College. Now, everyone's gonna be like, Oh, well, how was you doing both? They was in different leagues, so. There was a rule loss. If I was enrolled in a class in Even Hackney, class, yeah, yeah. yeah, I could play for the Hackney team as well. So I was playing for both. So when I went to Barking Abbey, for the St. Bond side, the school side, no one kind of really cared because it's like, who were St. Bonds really playing? Like there was no competition. But on the basketball side of it, it was like, Joe's leaving Hackney to go to Barking Abbey. Instant rivalry. And I think at that time, Hackney was fully formed. So when we played games, what was really, they would smack us. Do you know what I'm saying? But then obviously later on down the line, things changed, didn't it? But yeah, so there's that. But um, yeah, that's how I kind of got to Barking Abbey. I loved everything about Barking Abbey. I feel like that's what gave me the tools to have a career as long as I've had. Because mm. I feel like there's lots of guys that have like maybe the same amount of ability as me or something like that who might have stopped playing sooner. And some guys have got the same amount of ability as me that are going to play past me. But... I felt like for me, it was what I needed on ter- in terms of like talking to me just about life because I think uh, Mark and Lloyd did that a lot. And I don't know if that was by design or if that was we're in a first class and we're just doing stuff. Yeah. Like, I don't know how many, like we used to have one-to-one meetings and these used to be like some of my best times during the week, like sitting down. I don't know what we would do. We might watch film or we might just talk. And like, I felt like those things was really, was really like, helpful for me going forward that do you do you remember the first time we ever came across each other i I don't okay i don't i feel like you've always been around yeah do you know what i'm saying so when when i think of you i have two memories uh this is gonna go well no no one of them you would have had you wouldn't have had any idea who i was we actually played each other uh when i was at brunel university okay when you're at barking abbey um it was just like a preseason game obviously lloyd and mark had spoken to pete and just set up a uh you know like a uh, well just a preseason game basically mm. and i remember in warm-ups bearing in mind i'm from eastbourne yeah down mm. the southeast coast you know like <laughs> we used to i'll always remember in eastbourne growing up um we used to play on the seafront basketball courts and then one summer these two guys from London came down, Max and Eric. Uh, I actually don't know. Eric ended up playing in Derby. Um, but anyway, they came down, they were dunking. Like, we'd never seen anyone dunk, do you know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. like, this is incredible. But anyway, I say all that to give context because then I think it was maybe my first year at Brunel. Um, so that would have been 2005. So it was, no, it was 2006 was your first year at Barking Abbey, I think. Yeah, so, I think so. So, so my second year at Brunel. And... Uh, yeah, like I was just still new to to like London basketball and you know mm. the level of athleticism, the level of basketball, all that kind of mm. stuff. And I remember so clearly just in warm-ups looking down your end of the court and like being told that you guys were an academy and I was like what well, they're younger than us. 
And everyone's just like, yeah. And I'm like, no flipping way. Because there you are flipping. I remember you did this reverse dunk. You know, you're all dunking. I was just like, this is ridiculous. Um, so that's my first memory. But the second one uh, was actually the um, sort of when Barking Abbey was made a regional institute of basketball. And they, they did a, oh, a sort of speech. presentation. Yeah, yeah. And you did a speech. And I've actually got that on film somewhere. I need that. I've got it on I film somewhere. Like, it, it'll be on a hard drive somewhere. Um, <clears throat> and... And at that point, so that was uh, that would have been around 2010. It would have been like one of my first or second years of, of running Hoops Fix. And I was inspired by how much of an impact Barking Abbey... At, at that point, I had no idea of basketball in this country. I had no mm. idea of how academies worked. I didn't understand any of it. Um, but seeing the impact that it had on you and the emotion that you spoke with of the, of the I guess the development it had on you not just as a player but actually as a person which I think was a lot of the focus of what you were talking about it's like yeah okay they developed me as a basketball player I ended up getting a scholarship to the States but but really it's about the things that it taught me off the court to develop as a person that really had this sort of lifelong long impact but yeah it'd be interesting to kind of hear you talk about that a little bit yeah like, Barking Abbey changed my life 100% like, like whenever I think back to like just big pivotal moments it's like I always think back to like just being in that sports or being in the office and like having conversations with Mark and uh, Lloyd and it's just like and this is what I'm saying like I don't know if it's because I was the first year that like they had so much time maybe it wasn't as structured as they or it just wasn't as structured as it is now that they spend a lot of time talking to us do you know what I'm saying and it weren't just about basketball like my my experience with coaches before them was like you talk to me about basketball then I leave but like you know, Mark and Lloyd and, and you know, I still sometimes reach out to them and we'll just ask just stuff. Do you know what I'm saying? Maybe not basketball related and um, they're always there and I just feel, I just feel like they were just great role models and I don't know how that kind of thing came about but that's just what it was, isn't it? I, I just, I'm just super aware that it changed every, like the way I still navigate situations is from the way Mark and Lloyd would tell me stuff. Like, I remember a conversation where Lloyd was like, all right, look, to score 30 points, and obviously at the time I'm at Barking Abbey, the leading scorer, I'm the best player on the team. He's like, oh, to score 30 points. He's like, oh, Joe, you won't be able to continually be the best player and score the most points because you don't shoot very well. And I was like, okay. And then from that day, I'm just shooting every day, every day, every day. And... I didn't become the player that scores 30 points from just shooting, but my shooting improved. And that's what kind of got me, not got me through, but helped improve my game latter years of um, of my career. And it's like, some people might not think back to all the way when I was 17, 18, me and Lloyd having that conversation. And then me working on my jumper, even though it was not part of my game at all. So I would still go to games and just do whatever I needed to do to get the points or to do whatever, but then work on shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting. And it's just stuff like that that I think has stuck with me. Mark telling me that you don't ever have to worry about teams finding you. Like if you're the right person for the position or if you have the ability, you will be found. And it's like some people think that, nah, I'm going to go out and I'm going to, you know, make these people take me and stuff like that. But like that is a that is a theme that has continued to run through my life. Like so... Yeah. yeah, man, like 100% they've changed my heart and I really want that video if you've got it. So yeah, I'll try and dig it out. It'll be on that was some mad. hard drive I remember I, yeah. I pretty much cried in the video. Like, it, was, it was emotional it was, time. I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. Was, it. It. It, was, it was tough. Yeah, it, was, it was a powerful speech for sure. Um, 
Yeah, it's amazing. When when you think about uh, like when I think about how people would describe you as a player mm. and kind of what you bring to a team, I think one of the consistent themes that always come up is just your work ethic, your mm. hustle, like how hard you work. Where does that come from? Why do you bring it like that every single game? Oh, it's just my dad. That's hundred percent from my dad. Obviously, like my dad came over to this country. He was about thirty years old. Had four kids. Do you know what I'm saying? And he just used to tell us, "Work hard, you get whatever you want." That's it. Bang. From there, that's it. It's my life. That's what I'll tell other people. Um, that's what I will preach. And I just feel like that's what works for me. So that's just that. It's not something I turn on and off. It's how I am with all things basketball. And it's like. I'll be like, oh, okay, look, we're gonna work really, really, really hard, and ah, oh, Joe, like, we might not score thirty points, we might not do this, we might not do that, but like, you're working hard, you know what I'm saying? You're doing whatever you need to do to get this job done, to get this W in it, um, and I feel like that then trans, like, it went from that doing that as a player to just thinking like that as a person, and that kind of navigating my ideas around what we was doing as a team. So then I'll be like, all right, Joe, you've got to do whatever it takes. Now, for someone on the team, that is, you need to come in and shoot 3,000 shots every day. And maybe for someone else, that is, you need to work on your ball handling. Or Joe, you need to go and have a talk with the seventh man on the bench because he could be a starter, but coach is putting him on the bench to have an impact in the second unit, but he doesn't understand that's more important than him starting because obviously he wants to move on and all of that. So that's how that kind of translated in my mind from just being a player to, I don't know, the leadership roles that I started taking up on teams. And then I feel like all of this snowballed into being captain and, you know, maybe just that guys respecting what I have to say and stuff like that. And I would say that all goes back to like Mark telling me, uh, if you're good enough they'll find you or sacrifice oh I'm sorry my dad telling me like work really hard at whatever you're doing like and make sacrifices you know what I'm saying so yeah. then I felt like there was times I had sacrificed in my career like trying to be the best player to like do whatever it takes for us to just win the game do you get what I'm saying and I feel like there's some players who never get to that point now and that's for them to decide later on in life or oh, was my career good or was it bad but like for me I feel like that's great. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, Do you think, um, one of the things I also think you have is a sort of self-awareness about who you are as a player, what you mm. can do, what you can't do, uh, what your role is. Mm. And I think a lot of players really struggle with that, yeah. especially when they're used to being, you know, like you were saying, Barking Abbey, you're the best player on the team <clears> and then trying to make that transition to the next level where actually yeah. you're not going to be the best player on the team or you're going to have to do this to really be able to impact the team. Why do you think so many players struggle with that sort of self-awareness and being able to fill a role? Yeah, it's just a lack of guidance, I feel like. It's a lack of guidance. It's a lack of having the right conversations as a younger player to understand that we are playing a team sport. But then it's also probably the way the game's taught here because like, I think like British basketball is this weird amalgamation of American basketball and European basketball and we haven't decided which one we're trying to play because one is like hey, ISO star player and one is like team 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 someone's going to shine because someone's going to shine but team so because it's like that you'll get some players who just inherently play for the team and some guys who are like no it's me Whereas at Barking Abbey, I felt like we was very, like, it was like the European type of folks. We're going to try and play basketball fundamentally, correctly, the right way. And even though I felt like at the time my role was to 
score more or be a dominant player on a team, I understood that lesson that that might not translate like that at a next level. But then also I feel like it then comes down to who the person is as an individual, what kind of system they're playing in and stuff like that. Because I do feel like I would have, I would thrive more in scenarios where we had a OD system. Do you know what I'm saying? Like a San Antonio Spurs type of system where it's just like, no, never freelance. Never. Do you know what I'm saying? As opposed to, all right, guys, here's our set to be creative. Do you know what I'm saying? I feel like in the other, but then it's just, don't matter, does it? Get me? Do you, have you, on teams that you've been on, have you a, ever been able to have input on the systems that you run and stuff? Like, because obviously, you know, as we've discussed, like you, you have a, you're the face of the London Lions in many ways. You're the captain of the London Lions. Um, you know, you do get input at various levels about certain mm. things. Like, um, are you able to have input on that or have you been able to have input on that stuff over the years or is it very much like what the coach wants, that's what we're doing? I mean, in the past, it's like, I've uh, sometimes the option to have inputs there. But for me, as an individual, I'm never, I don't, as long as it's working and, well, I'm of the mindset that as long as we're all on the same page, we're good. I don't care if the system's trash or if the system's the system that won the NBA finals the year before. Like if we're all just on it and I'm talking about players and the coaches, we're good. Because if we all do the same thing and it doesn't work, we'll just scrap it all together. But if we're divided on it, it's not working. So I would always try and be the bridge and be like, uh, yeah, that diamond set, nah, it's not nah, the guys ain't feeling it. Do you know what I'm saying? As opposed to oh no, these are the four sets that I want to run. Like, that's that's a point guard coach thing, depending on the relationship between the point guard and the coach. I feel like since in my professional career, I've always had the highest level of point guard. You get me? I had Rod Brown, had Zaya Taylor, had Justin Robinson. So, yeah. So, I don't feel like it was ever an issue. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. If, if Vince comes to talk to me about the sets, I'm like, Justin, go on. I might stand there for the conversation just so I know what's going on. But, yeah. I, it's not for me. Like, I don't need to be involved in that too much. The London Lions last season, uh, you know, <sighs> that was a smooth transition. You know, <laughs> Sam, that was good. I feel like it was a yeah, it was a nice segue. It was it was uh, it's, yeah, it was smooth. So so London Lions last season, yeah. you know, coming into the season, easily the most hyped BBL team uh, that I've seen in in my years. Ever. just sport. say it just say it ever commit to yeah it. like well, the thing is I, you know i don't know before those days so i've got to be careful about how and the thing is in this world of social media as you know if i say that i oh, will get a tweet being like that ain't true man what about the kingston kings uh, or you know like but anyway uh yeah like a massive amount of hype yeah and it was very much like the expectation was win everything yeah. and, and anything other than that will be a failure when you look at that season what would be your assessment of it i mean i feel like the general consensus is the is the reality of it like do you know what let's uh i feel like last season was a disappointment i'll talk about for me personally do you know what i'm saying i feel like last season was a disappointment because i wouldn't say because of how hyped our team was because i think every season the london team on paper is a good team do you know what i'm saying like every every season so last season it was like oh, okay we've got a really good team and we're going to Europe. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's like, all right, they've got to win everything. But like, that's just disrespecting basketball in general. Like putting 10 names on a piece of paper and throwing a ball up and saying this team's 
gonna win 100% of the time is disrespecting the sport of basketball. Like, people should understand, like, you've watched enough basketball to know on any given day, any team can win, anyone can play bad and stuff. And I'm not saying that the issues we had was guys weren't playing well and all that other stuff. It's just like, this basketball's not that simple. It's just not that simple. And anyone who says it is, they don't, I don't, I believe they don't understand the, like, the nuances of basketball. So, like, yeah, we had a really good team and, like, on paper, but, like, I just don't feel like it came together correctly at the right time. Like, yeah, there was just, there was lots of factors involved in it. But, um, yeah, just I just don't feel like we did what was necessary as an organisation to make that season a success. Because I believe that, I don't say we could have won for, obviously we could have won for, or we could have swept We could have won everything or maybe people think we should have won everything, but it's just not that simple as having the best players. You get me? You've got to have, you've got to be firing at the right time. You've got to have spent the right amount of time together. You've got to have had the right conversations. You've got to have a system that, that works for everyone or at least you've got to have the right amount of guys sacrificing and the right of, amount of guys understanding that other guys are sacrificing and they're going to do what they need to do. Like it is... So much stuff goes into like winning. So was it a disappointment for me personally as being a captain of that team? 100%. I feel like all the time, Joe, could you have done more? Should you have done more? And this is why I'm all, I always, from past experience, say what I have to say when I need to say it because I'm just not, I'm not on having that feeling of you thought about saying it, you didn't say it, now outcome is here. And it's too late to be like, oh, for, like I'm just gonna say it. If it hurts someone, like if I've got to sit a star player down, a star player, or a bench player down, and say, bro, you ain't playing. That's the best thing for the team. I'm gonna do it. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm gonna tell Matt. Listen, it's not the conversation I want to have. Boom, boom, boom. But like for the best of the team, like, bro, like this is really what it is, and. That might not be my job. That might be someone else's job. But when I'm like, when I was at the Lions, that was a responsibility I felt that I had to have. Do you get what I'm saying? And that comes in many shapes, forms, and whatever. Like different, difficult conversations. And when things aren't lining up right, the results are gonna. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. The results, the results will tell you the story. Do you know what I'm saying? So. Was it made that much more difficult by having such a big roster that obviously guys had to sit out every game during during the well during the BBL season? Yeah, maybe, potentially. Yeah, I feel like that was definitely a factor. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? I mean, I couldn't say how much of a factor it is. Like, yeah, you just don't know how it would have played out any other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like, and 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 it's also all down to the individuals. You know what I'm saying? If you've got guys who understand their role, if you're transparent with guys about what their role is, they're still not gonna like it, but they might one respect you for it. You'll find out the character of that person, and then you'll have a better understanding of how to navigate the situation. Yeah. Like, listen, we've got 15 players. I've told this guy, listen, you're playing once every 10 games at max. And if you're playing, you might get three minutes. If I go in there and tell him that, day of the game, he can't be mad at me. He's going to be mad because he's competitive, rather, he's a player and he wants to get out there. But I've told him and we're fully trapped. Like, there's no secrets here. But like, if I don't say nothing and then it just happens, 
there's potential issue because then he's like, oh man, he coach just didn't do this, coach didn't do that, like, and it trickles. Yeah. Like that is that can be the start of something. Yeah. I'm not saying either of these things are happening. I'm just saying these are scenarios that that affect things. Do you know what I'm saying? So yeah, it could be. How much did the you know you mentioned seven 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 a bit in this conversation? Um, and there's been a lot of talk about sort of their involvement with the Lions, obviously taking mm. over the Lions and the budget that the Lions have to operate with now and and everything else. How much internally did things change for the Lions last season under new ownership? Yeah, I think like I want to say pretty much everything got better, everything improved. You know, anything that I would say involved, if money could make it better, it probably did. But then at the same time. It's things that money can't buy. There's, yeah, it's things that money can't buy. Do you get me? Money can't buy better team chemistry. So does it help? Yes. Will it get you a championship or all the championships? It didn't last season. So I'll put it like, I'll put it like that. You get me? Yeah. How much was, how, I mean, maybe it's a stupid question, but I'd just be interested to hear your opinion on, on, on it. But like, Obviously, COVID, uh, mm. one, impacting the European run. And mm. then, uh, of course, the final, the famous final where you were wiped out um, heading into it. That was a cup final, cup final, wasn't it? Uh, uh, in January. Yes. Yeah. Um, can you talk, talk about those kind of two situations and sort of warming down and like what was the internal conversations around it all? Um, firstly, I want to say that all COVID protocols were followed. Um, just for anyone else out there, who's, I don't know, I just don't need it. Um, yeah but I don't know man I feel like it's one of those things I haven't even really tried to go back and reflect on a lot because it's just not it's just out of your control you know? and I'm, I'm referring to not being able to play in the cup finals um, and then us losing to Newcastle playing with like six players and stuff like that um, but yeah it's like I, just, I don't know there's so much there's so much to unpack with it but it's like, there's nothing you can, you're, in a, you're just in a situation you can't control. And the guys that can play went out and played. Like, I mean. And put up a good fight too. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's like, obviously like, just, I wanted them to win. I want us to win. But at the same time, I want to be there. But at the same time, it's like, if they win, does that have an effect on the team? That half of us wasn't there and half of us, like, like there's so, there's so many things that like, could have happened or, or transpired through that. So I don't know. I just feel like COVID like, was a bitch. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it ended the season before late and I'm going to say maybe potentially took away a league title, potentially a good run to the uh, playoff final. Um, and then obviously the next season we lose the cup, COVID again. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's like, I could complain about maybe missing silverware in the trophy cabinet, but it is what it is. People's health and safety is more important than us playing basketball. I'm fully aware of that. So it just is what it is. Yeah. Get me? Tough situation, man. Very. The European thing, I think that really hurt as well. Like even like just the psyche of the team, the morale of the team, because it's like for a lot of the guys, like this is the, this, like, we're, we're here for this. Do you know what I'm saying? I signed this contract and knowing we're going to get to play in Europe. We're going to be in this competition. Do you know what I'm saying? So then when that doesn't happen, like the main event of your season, and I'm not trying to like disrespect how important the BBL season is, but like if you're playing in Europe, this is this the main event. Yeah. Like that doesn't happen. You're just kind of like, there was, there was deflation. Do 
you know what I'm saying? So maybe that played a role in then the chemistry and the, and the mindset of what was going to happen later on in the season. Or maybe we should have taken that as motivation to be like, oh, we've got to crack down and do all of this stuff. But the results was the results. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. There's so many... Like I still almost... It feels like last year didn't happen in some ways. Like I think like 2019 is last year still, if you know what yeah. I mean. Because the whole year has kind of become a blur because you were just in lockdown, doing the same things every day. Like... Mm. Um, yes, yeah, absolutely crazy, unprecedented times. Uh, so, the other thing, big thing I want to talk about is obviously all this stuff you've got going on off the floor. Mm. Um, and I think just it's it's worth giving context to people of like of how big it's grown to and sort of the success you've been having. Uh, and I, I, mean, I don't think people will mind you saying, but I remember I was having a conversation. I think it was either the year last year or the year before. Um, and you basically saying, well, I don't need to play basketball anymore. Like mm. my, my stuff is doing so well that like mm. this can support me now. Uh, I'm doing basketball still because I love it. I want to I want to do it. So it's 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 kind of grown beyond um, well being a side hustle, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, so I mean, I run. I'm part of a team that runs a YouTube channel called the Cyber Nerds. We've got 150,000 subscribers on YouTube. Uh, we talk about movies and games and stuff like that, just kind of like our childhood passions and media and stuff. Um, and yeah, like we started it, we started it because I felt like at the time there was nowhere for us to talk to other people who were similar to us about said things. So then we was just like, look, we kind of made a secret Facebook group where like you had to be invite only, it was like Fight Club. And then this thing just kind of grew. There was hundreds of people in it and we was talking and we was doing this from like 2013 to 2016. So then one day me, in fact, it was like a democracy. So I went in a group one day and I was like, well, me and the boys, we had decided, it was like, look, we're taking this out of the basement. Project Mayhem's happening. That's a Fight Club reference for anyone else who's deep into it. Get me. Um, so like we asked the group because it was democracy. Guys, look, bang, we want to go public. We think that this thing could be amazing. And the the answer from the whole group was no. Do you know what I'm saying? The majority of the group was like, no, we love that this is secret. We love that people do not know that this is who we really are here. And then, bruh, it was like getting hit by a car, innit? So like, there was like six people who said yes to it. Um, so then we were having a meeting and we were just like, yo, so what are we going to do? It was like, look, we just got to do it. We'll just do it with the six of us. Um, so we was like, all right, cool. Told the people in the groups what we're doing, bang. Did it. Started the cyber nerds um, with six of us. Now stuff happened and the six turned to three of us. Do you get what I'm saying? And I, I'm going to say that was the best thing that could have happened to us. Um, we started making videos, started talking about the stuff we want to talk about, movies, games, blah, blah, blah. A couple people started liking the videos. Bang, more stuff started to start snowball effect. Obviously this is happening while I'm still trading every day, playing the games, captain of the team, all of that. And it's just growing and growing and growing. And then as we're going along, um, Raven quits his job. He was a, a substitute teacher at the time. And then Sam leaves his job as well. He was an IT technician uh, in the city for um, Rotary, I think something like that. Um, and then, yeah, bang. We just started doing it like kind of like full time, more time. And then it turned from like me being the one who was most flexible because I was playing basketball and I only had to be like away for six hours a day to me being the least, do you know what I'm saying? Like they're full time now. Yeah. And now it's like, all right, guys, look, I've got to go to Europe for a week. And then when I come back, I've got training every day. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's like last season um, with 
with the, the season having to add 10 games, with us playing in Europe, and then through the cyber nerds, I got an Amazon show called The Screen Test, um, where I was talking about movies and games, but this opportunity had come up through the cyber nerds. I'm doing this as well. That's on Amazon Prime. That's on Amazon Prime, yeah. So I have a mad schedule, like, and I just felt like, oh, this is it's definitely too much. Do you get what I'm saying? And I just felt like, and I'm not saying that, the like just it, it wasn't the cybernetics of making this decision to retire. It's not what happened. It was like it was legitimately the nat- the natural progression of things, and these just happened to I feel like blossom all at the same time. Yeah. Um. So that's what happened there. So yeah, it's been it's been pretty like good and pretty successful. It's been open like lots of opportunities and doors for us to do and I get to hang out with my two boys and talk about movies and superheroes and stuff so it's like that when you started it did you start with the intention of knowing this could become a business um I'm gonna say yes and no because obviously business is my thing like like from school so it's like I'm very aware of where this could go but the driving force of the channel was 100% passion. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I remember us having so many conversations about, yo, don't talk to me about money. Don't think about the money. Forget money. Forget it. Forget it. Forget it. Just, let's just make what we want to make and it will handle itself. Do you get what I'm saying? Uh, That was always my mindset, like, for the longest time. Um, yeah, and I feel like I, that's just kind of how I am. Like, I, I feel like I run off passion, not necessarily off money. Do yeah. you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, we're good. For my own selfish interests, um, when you talk about sort of the uh, the income and how mm. it's generating revenue, like, mm. what is the breakdown? Like, obviously, I've seen you've got a Patreon. You've got, like, 700 subscribers on Patreon, mm. which is not a small amount by any means in the imagination. Mm. Obviously, you've got the YouTube making money. got a bit of merchandise as well, like... What am I missing? What are the other parts? Kind of like, how does it all come together to be able to essentially support three people full time? I mean, it's just about just doing doing all of it. Like, trying not to spread yourself in and maximising where you can. Um, and like, just making, making good content, trying to get brand deals. Like, we've got lots of people who work with us outside of the three of us. Do you know what I'm saying? And I feel like putting a team together that is all kind of, aiming for the same thing kind of naturally happened for us and then that kind of like help bring in other revenues of money do you get what I'm saying so it's like you know we got like brand deals we'll do brand deals for stuff like Marvel will be like guys make this video talk about our toys talk about this talk about that and it's like we like if it naturally fits into what we do we'll do it and if it doesn't, then we'll say no to it. Yeah. So that's the kind of how it works. Also, like I said, with the Amazon show, like Amazon came in and we're like, Joe, like, you know about movies, bam, we want you. So Amazon, there's a bag coming there. And there's just, there's just, there's just places you've just got to like, bring it all together. Like with the Patreon thing, Patreon's really interesting because it's like, started Patreon, like, I was watching videos of other YouTubers and like everyone's talking about Patreon. I was like, Maybe we've got to try this Patreon thing. So we had a Patreon for quite a while. And I felt like it. we had Patreons, but it wasn't, I would, for me, I would say it wasn't doing well. Like I was like, it's definitely got to be doing better. Um, but then we just kept on working and working and working. And now like we've got up to like, I think the most we've ever had for one month was like a thousand Patreons. 
but then obviously so patreon is like a subscription service where you pay yeah. a membership and like you support your creators you know what i'm saying usually like fans or supporters do it for the creators because they know creating content's hard and it doesn't necessarily pay very well monetizing content is yes, very hard it's very difficult yeah so on patreon um they can do that um so like we just started making patreon exclusive content but it was the content that people wanted to see on our youtube channel that we'd never done on our youtube channel which i then felt like wasn't taking something away from the our main thing main audience and giving to these people over here it was just a we've now created a whole new stream of content for you guys over here that are supporting our lives and our dream to do this. And then, so that's kind of how pa Patreon started improving and stuff like that. So Patreon, merchandise, um, brand deals, and that, yeah. And then just, just keep... When you're talking about brand deals and stuff, do you have someone representing you that, that has the connect between you and the brands? Yeah, so, I mean... We've got an, we've got an agent. She's amazing. Um, so she will like if a brand comes to us. If we get an email from Hoops Fix and they're like, guys, we love what you do. We want to blah blah blah. We're gonna just give it to her, and then she's gonna deal with everything because we've got videos to make and stuff like that. So she would negotiate that. But then we also work with another YouTube management company that like specifically handles how our YouTube looks behaves and then they might re they reach out to they've got companies that they usually work with that will bring in deals and stuff yeah. like that for us there so that happens as well so knowing all that you know and knowing that you know british basketball uh pretty in depth and you know hoots fix in depth mm. if you were to look at hoots fix and were to be giving me advice about yeah. how you would monetize it if you were me yeah uh, I know I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit, but do you feel, like, what, what do you think it would be? Or also, do you think, and I know we were having this conversation a little bit beforehand before we start recording, like, is the market mature enough to even support a uh, a creator in the same way that, you know, obviously movies, massive, massive industry, isn't it? Like, it's completely different. Um, maybe the market isn't big enough to make it work. But like, yeah, if, if you were Hootsfix and you were trying to monetize what is essentially a content site at its core, uh, what would you be doing? I mean... I think, firstly, just to give people more context to the conversation we were having before, I think that the issue, not the issue, but like the situation with Hootsfix is similar to the hip, the situation with all basketball players in the league who want more followers. Do you know what I'm saying? So like the industry, the British basketball industry, let's say community socially is like capped in it at like, I want to say around 30,000 followers in it like it you're going to struggle to find someone who's in british basketball who's got more than thirty thousand followers who isn't doing something outside of british basketball now like i kind of do lots of research into stuff i spend my time doing this um so like i would just go around and look like i know that because i looked do you get what i'm saying i looked you know, I went around and I was like, all right, cool, right, man. Sam's been doing this for a minute. He's got 20K followers. No offense. No, 20K no, no. followers is amazing. It is amazing to do in British basketball. Do you know what I'm saying? The level of consistency, the the quality of content you're, you're putting out. Do you know what I'm saying? So I want everyone to understand that. But like, if the ceiling is where the ceiling's at, like you kind of can't get through it. Do you know what I'm saying? So then let me get back to the players. So like players will have, will average out around two, three K 
followers, yeah? And like, let's say you played for GB, maybe you've got five, get me? Let's say you went to a big school, maybe you've got 10. Like there's these points in life where you just picked up a bag of followers, do you know what I'm saying? But um, yeah, we're all gonna stay in that realm unless you see someone do something outside of that realm that reaches an um, a audience that is bigger than our 20K cap. Do you get what I'm saying? So like, Ovi goes on Love Island, bam, two million followers overnight, instantly. It just is what it is. Like more than the entire BBL and all, all the, of all them, the franchises everyone, combined. Put, yeah. put us all together, Ovi's got it done. It's a wrap. You get yeah. me? And it's like I think when I was not seeing these things, like I feel like I ha- I've always had an understanding of it because like if you go back and I, this is one of the reasons why I never delete anything off my Instagram. It's like I want people if they've got the time or if they want to you can always just go back to the beginning and be like oh, right joe has been peppering instagram from the day he started do you know what I mean? i've tried so many different strategies schemes things all of this year to like try and just kind of have a, a good instagram and i felt like instagram was kind of the one i kind of gravitate towards instagram because it's like pictures it's kind of easy and like Lions has got photographers and stuff like that. So yeah, you can get pictures like, oh, I've got a constant stream of content. I can just do this. So like there was stuff like that. Um, let me get, I'm digressing in it. Basically, let me get back to Hoots Fix. So because of our conversation earlier and you're like, you don't really want to step out. And we've kind of had this conversation because I always think this about Hoots Fix. Like yo, if Hoots Fix follow, co- covered NBA yeah. and you will see there's some other basketball media outlets that cover British basketball, but they cover the NBA you're just going to get more clicks. You're going to get more likes. People, it's just, it's just the way it works. Do you get what I'm saying? So then that would be an obvious. It's, it's, yeah, like, it's funny you say that because a few years ago, uh, back in the early days, I actually did do the NBA stuff on the website for a while mm. and it was easy traffic. Like that, at that point, we were averaging like 40,000 unique visitors a month because, and the, the one thing that you have going for you if you're targeting a UK audience is obviously the time zones. So like you're, when the UK is waking up, you can start putting that stuff out just as when people are waking up mm. and so you, they'll actually end up clicking your stuff rather than the stuff that was going out six hours before, you know, when mm-hmm. the games were finishing. The reason I stopped, uh, well, one, like I said to you before, is that I really feel like my skill set, what I want to do is within British basketball. Um, but but two, in terms of value to the market, to the NBA market that I can bring, I don't think there is anyone in the UK that can really do better than what the American journalists and content creators can do with access to the games, access to the players, all of that kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? A hundred percent, but we're not talking about that. We're not talking about the level of content we're creating. We're just talking about... Monetizing and growing. Monetizing and grow. And this is where it comes down to like, who you are as an individual, the kind of like, ethos you want your business to have. And like, like we sat here for, or spoke for an hour talking about like, your passion for British basketball. Yeah. That's where the conversation stops for me. Sam, like, is what it is, bro. You've got to be the innovator of the thing. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you've got to be the one that breaks the 30K cap. Like, and that's a big responsibility for you. But from what you've told me, like, that's what sounds like the the mission that's in your backpack. Like, there's nothing you can do about it. It just is what it is. Yeah, and I think that's, yeah, that's where, like, uh, yeah, I just have to be willing to accept that it's a longer road. It's going to take a longer time. Um, but then that also means that the rewards, rewards will be so much sweeter. You know, like if if British basketball was to reach this potential that we all talk about, that so many people have seen over the years, mm. 
I'm in a very, very strong position 100%. to profit. But like, <clears throat> until that happens, <laughs> it's going to continue to be a grind, continue to be a struggle. And I've got to keep trying things, experimenting, and working out the best way of, you know, yeah, monetizing it. Because it's, it's one of those things where, like, I know that I provide value to the market. Mm. I just haven't worked out how to extract that value back to then be able to monetize things successfully. But, you know, that I think comes with time and continuing with experimentation. Um, and seeing over time. Anyway, I don't want this to become about... No, bro. listen. I love, listen, I love this this conversation, isn't it? Like, and I feel like innovating is is the thing, isn't it? Because you've got to do stuff that might take you out of your comfort zone. You've got to do stuff that your audience might not even understand yeah. yet. Yeah. But when it catches up, like you said, you're going to be in a very good position. But like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tough responsibility to have. But you've got uh, one thing that I do super rate is that you know the mission. You know it. You're aware of it. And I think this is the issue for lots of other like if we're talking about guys doing stuff after they're retiring, if we're just talking about clubs in general on how to present players and their team and their brand, they don't know like. They're like they don't know what they're actually trying to get across. Like they don't know they're not self aware enough to understand maybe we should do this, maybe we should look at this team, maybe we should look at this other sport. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? And then take things from there. And I feel like that's one of the things that I just spend a lot of time doing myself. Like, all right, so what is it like what is a dunno, I'm gonna pick volleyball. Uh, not volleyball, netball, because like, I know like a couple of vo- netball players. So I'll be like, oh, what what are these lot doing? Like, what does their Instagrams look like? Do you know what I'm saying? What does a professional hockey player's Instagram look like? Where do I fit in all of this? How should this be presented? How should that be presented? Yeah. And then I will try to present that like honestly and organically about myself. Do you get what I'm saying? So I would never be doing things out of my own skin. Like I'm not gonna, I don't know, go on top of a building and take a take a crazy picture just for Instagram because I saw whatever LeBron do it. I'm not doing that. But like, if it just uh, that is actually part of my life, right? yeah, cool, bang, yeah. makes sense, and it aligns with what I'm doing. But I'm, I'm gonna make yeah. more of an effort to make that happen. Yeah, I, I think. Um so much of it is about educating the market and I have this mm. conversation with, with Bradley uh, all the time about you know we look at other sort of the meme accounts on Instagram mm. you know the big the big pages that do crazy numbers off, off NBA content and the type of stuff that they're doing and then we're like how can we apply that to British basketball so for example just doing stuff where you have four different headshots and you say would you rather have you know um, Devin Van Neustrom's handles uh, Miles Hessen's bounce Dan Clark's shot, whatever it might be, mm. yeah, and doing stuff like that. The problem is at this point, you do that, you won't even get a response because people don't even know who those players are and what they have and what their attributes are. So they can't even make that choice. Yeah. So a large part of, it's like really starting from the bottom where it's like, okay, well, the first stage is you actually have to make these players personalities. People know who they are. People know what they can bring to a game, all that kind of stuff. And so, sorry, it's so crazy because it's like, is that shouldn't be Hoots Fix's responsibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and this gets into the, the teams, how you're supposed to be presenting players, players, how you're supposed to be presenting yourself. Like, if all of that stuff was kind of handled, yeah, you'd have an easier job. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's like, so now what are you going to do, Hoots Fix? Are you going to start up a workshop and tell players how they should be presenting themselves? So 10 years from now, let's say 20 years from now, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's yeah. easier for you to do it. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
It's a long road, man. It is. It's a long road. Yeah. But like you said, I, I'm willing to accept the mission. Like I understand that it's a long road. Um, but yeah, I do think that uh, it just. I I just know that it can work in this country. Do you know what I mean? I really believe that it can work. Uh, it just requires a lot of experimentation, um, throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. Uh, but yeah, whilst you're in it, it's like there are many days where I'm just like, what am I doing? I'm wasting my life. I'm 11 years deep, and you know this is this is not how it should be working out by this point. But you're not, man. Like, bruv, like I said, you've been here since day one. Everyone knows who's fixed. And in terms of like doing content that like that other sites are doing it. Even though the other sites are doing it and they're getting lots of traffic and they might eventually get more followers than you, it's it's like the brand. Do you yeah, know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Like, do you want to be the best meme account? <laughs> I, like, I, like, I don't know, innit? Yeah, you, yeah. Someone might want, someone wants to. There's yeah. someone out there who's just a comedian and like, yeah, yeah if i got the best meme account on Instagram, good. <laughs> but if you want to be the most professional British basketball content, like just outlet, uh, you might not yeah. have two million followers. Yeah, yeah. You might have fifty k. You might have ten. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. You got to accept those things as well. Do you know what I'm saying? And some of us don't accept that, and then then you just you end up wasting your time. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Because you're trying to do something that's not going to translate. Blah, blah blah. And I also try and say to people all the time when you know, like, I'll have calls with with British brands or, or individuals about building their social media following, and, and and I'm like, it starts with what you actually trying to do because it's like. People just say, oh, I just want more followers. Well, why? <sighs> why? Like, what are you going to use that for? And this is where, like, and this is exactly what you're saying about meme accounts versus uh, an engaged following. Like, yeah. I can do an event and sell 700 tickets. There are many accounts with 100,000 followers, half a million followers. They say they're going to do something. Ain't no one showing up or paying yeah. money to do that, yeah. you know? And that's where the value is for me. It's like, I want to build an audience to be able to do the things that I'm yeah. trying to do to help market the things I'm trying to do. That isn't the end goal, if you yeah. know what I mean. 100%. Like, and... And that's the thing, like, I speak to people about it a lot because, like, lots of players will come to me. Joe, how do I get more followers? Joe, like, did you go to an event and get more followers? And I was like, nah, firstly, I was just trying to do bare stuff anyway. Just trying to see, like, I was at the phase, you see the phase you're at where you're asking me? I didn't have no one to ask, so I was just trying stuff. But then after that, it was like, I think we was at YouTube for events. So we won a competition, YouTube uh, Black Contest. Uh, the Cybernerns won it. So they, I had to take a week and go to like stay in central London and we was in the YouTube studios. And then this was the week that I think like was a, an, um, the BBL put out a post. This was before Ovi signed saying, oh, we want Ovi to come into the league. And then I kind of like lost it. Like, I woke up that morning and I was just like, yeah, this shit's enough. Like, like obviously Ovi's got a large following now because he went on uh, Love Island and you guys wanted to come to the league so you can just exploit his audience. And I'm like, like this is just more of like people trying to take away from players. Do you know what I'm saying? Like they don't, they're not thinking about does Ovi's career need to come here? Like is this going to be the best thing for him? They're just like, oh, what can we get? So I kind of lost it because on the other side of it, I was like, I know guys that have been in the league for years, got businesses, good businesses, successful businesses that the BBO would never like retweet, would never share. There's not even like the back page of like, you know, the BBL manual. Like, you know, when you go to the finals, yeah, yeah. they do the program. whole program. There's not even a back page where it's like uh, BBL player businesses or something, like something just a throwaway. There's not even that. But like, because right, my man's got 2 million followers now, he's got to be in the league. He's got to do it. Like, come on, man. It's too much for me. 
you know what I'm saying? Like that kind of stuff really pisses me off. So then I did a huge rant on it just on my Instagram story and went out and then it was like, I started getting more followers and I, it didn't even make sense to me because I was like, I didn't know like like who, like why this would have traction or anything, but that kind of started happening. And then from there, I was just like, I felt like at the time, like what I was doing was just working. So then I just carried on doing it and doing it and it kind of snowballed. And I feel like being verified um, having the cyber nerds all was kind of like just another bucket of water getting thrown in and then it just kind of carried on growing and growing and growing um, your, so, your Instagram's like approaching 100k now right it is which is scary because I'm like because oh, I feel like like if you're an influencer and this is what's weird because like I don't feel like I don't think I'm an influencer I think the cyber nerds are influencers but like I'm just Joe, professional basketball player, British professional basketball player, who has lots of followers. So then I'm like, what do I do? Do you know what I'm saying? Because it's like, like if I follow in, like I know influencers or see their accounts, I'm like, all right, cool. Like you do bare stuff. Like you talk to your audience all the time. You do, and it's like I can't. I find myself in between. Maybe that's who I'm. Sp- I'm supposed to be or this is what I'm supposed to do with a following and then uh, I'm a, I'm a professional basketball player bruv like I don't want to do that do you got, like, I don't want to talk every day about this and have to pretend not pretend because obviously it is some people but like I don't want to have to be OD motivational all the time and and then these were all the kind of lessons that kind of kind of kind of shaped me into who I am now and it's just like saying what you want to say being true either whether it's positive or negative and just expressing myself that way. And I felt like when I started understanding that, it was kind of easier for me to like navigate the whole thing. But yeah. Do you, the, the irony of building a following is that uh, in a lot of cases, the bigger the following gets, the more you start questioning what you're posting because of the reaction and you actually get away from what got you there in the first place. Yeah. Do you feel a pressure? Like are you th- when you're posting stuff, are you thinking there's a lot of people listening to this? I've got to be a bit more careful about what I say or the things that I do. Or do you think you're you're uh, pretty okay with it? I think I'm always pretty self-aware about what I'm saying, what I'm doing. But at the same time, I feel like being authentic is the most important because like, I feel like when we when I was growing up, I just kind of learned how to talk in interviews and stuff like that from like seeing whatever bas- other basketball players. And then I kind of just realised that like, oh, this is I f- I, what I feel like is wrong, innit? I feel like in an interview, if I get asked a question, you should just tell the truth, innit? Just say how you're feeling. And lots of guys are going to, yeah, why are you always telling the truth? Nah, bruv, you've given a political correct answer. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you wasn't happy with the last play that was called. Yeah, And I'm just saying like, I feel like being more transparent will work for you, the individual. I'm not saying it's going to do wonders for your career, innit? Like, but I'm just saying, I feel like that is just who I am in it. But maybe because I got a larger following, it was easier for me to do that because like, I've got a larger following. Like yeah. you can't, like you're going to be like, oh, well, Joe's telling 50,000 people that he's upset with lunch today. Like we can't say, we can't, you know what I'm saying? We can't just shush that. Like everyone's going to hear that. So we're going to have to be better. Like, I've got a lot of leverage on them, but if they had the same amount, maybe I would be expendable. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? So I feel like my situation is a little unique and there's stuff, but I just feel like everyone needs to be more transparent. Everyone needs to talk to someone, seek out information and yeah. 
when you talk about sort of the importance of a personal brand for an athlete, mm. you know, especially I think it's become a bit of a talking point over the last few months when um, you know college players are now allowed to profit from their name, image, and, image and likeness, mm. and so you've got sort of uh, well, a lot of programs are actually employing somebody to advise, brief the athletes, help them with their personal brand. Um, obviously, you've kind of been in that world a little bit, a little bit longer. Like, do you think it's going to get, or it is already getting to a stage where players? with a bigger following on social media irrespective of their talent on the court will be able to potentially negotiate larger contracts because they can put certain things uh you know through their social following into part of that contract it is going to get there because we just don't understand like i don't know moderation of things like we're just like i don't know why but just as humans it's just like We'll just do things and we'll do it to the maximum until we realize, oh, no, this is actually detrimental to us, and then we'll revert back. So that's definitely going to happen, but I don't think it should be happening. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, we play a sport what is based on your ability to run, shoot, jump, all of that, and that should always be the most important thing. Like, just because I've got this guy on the team who's got two million followers, five million followers, whatever, he shouldn't be starting now. Like. If you're doing that, like you're, yeah, yeah. I think you're a clown. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But you're gonna be like, well, I'm getting exposure worldwide. Like, I mean, yeah, I, I just don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be onto something like that. But I'm sure there's gonna be people who are like, if we get enough eyeballs, we can do whatever. We can sell out all the games. I mean, I don't know. They're yeah, not, I they're mean, not respecting the sport. Yeah, I mean, what well, case in point? The Bull Brothers. Like, you you look at the the hype around. Like, I think Jello had a mixtape on House of Highlights of his eight-point game the other mm. day. Um, <laughs> which, you know, and I, the thing is, obviously, he can still play basketball. He's still, you know, he's still playing at a, a relatively decent level or whatever. Yeah. But but um, 100% the leagues and outlets will hype those players that have got the social following because they know it's going to give them clicks. And so as a result, you kind of get more exposure and then potentially going to get looks that you otherwise wouldn't. Like Mac McClung is another one who, you know, was a massive mixtape player kind of all over the, the YouTube channels. And now like anything he does in Summer League, like anything he does will get posted on the NBA channels, NBA outlets. Like I do feel like social media is moving the power back to the player. In certain situations, yeah. I mean, but like... Jello's got two brothers in the league as well. Do you get what I'm saying? If he didn't have that, would the situation be the same? Don't mm. know. Like I, I feel like all of these situations are dependent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're all unique. It's not like everyone's running around with that ability. Do you get what I'm saying? But then at the end of the day, like we're gonna, we're, everyone's gonna get found out. Do you get what I'm saying? Like whether, like I don't know. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, like do if you're playing at a level that's above you, you yeah. Will get do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and it's like, do you? Do you want your 10 million followers to see that? Well, if I, you know, if you're willing to trade that in for like two million pounds, yeah, then do it. Yeah. And if you're not, then don't. Do you know what I'm saying? You don't want to be Nate Robinson. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> get me. Yeah. But if he's cool with it, yeah, do you know what I'm saying? Trying something new, he didn't. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It didn't. It didn't work. I don't want anyone coming at me for this Nate Robinson thing. I'm not trying to make fun of him. I'm just saying, like, he's venturing into something new. He's got a. You gotta understand. There's gonna be downfalls with this. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So there's that. Like he was, he was a meme for a week. Yeah. Like yeah, that's yeah. Gonna, it's gonna happen if you put yourself in positions that maybe you're not qualified. Yeah. To be in. Just as we start coming towards the end, um, just one sort of, I guess, quicker, broader question, just about British basketball, uh, the BBL and the teams in general. 
from a marketing standpoint, from a digital standpoint specifically, because I know that's kind of your sphere, mm. um, what would you like to see the league and the teams doing? Where do you think that they could make big gains uh, in terms of connecting with that that core audience? Because just quickly on that topic, I've had loads of conversations recently. I feel like it's come up recently. I've tried to explain to a lot of people the BBL's core audience is not the same 14 to 24-year-old player that lives and breathes basketball. They're two very separate things. And mm. I feel like for the league and the franchises to break through, they need to somehow connect with that audience, which obviously you do you know, uh, and other people do very well. But the league has just struggled to reach the audience that the brands are also interested in. Like, So, yeah, what do you see the league needing to do on that front? Um... I don't, I, I don't really want to get deep into this because I feel like this is a job I should get paid for. Do you know what I'm saying? But there are things that in like like that 14 to 20 culture that the kids are into, you've got to find common ground. Like, that's it. Do you know what I'm saying? You find a common ground and you go from there. Yeah. Like, that's... I'm sorry, Sam. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, because because yeah, yeah. I, I think that a, a lot of the time, and I might be a, I might be being oversensitive with like holding back on an answer like that, but I feel like the whole exploitation part is something that is so deep in our league that like I'll say something here and then it might happen, and then I'm like like that like that is the that's the issue. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? Like yeah. because I would think for someone like me who, you know, I've played national teams, I've been around basketball. Like, I'm not saying I want people to come and reach out to me, but then people haven't reached out to me. And it makes me beg the question, like, why would you not? Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, because if, like, some people have, bear, like, I'm going to some people have as well. But I feel like if you were trying to achieve something like similar, close, or just, just, just to find out, you know what I'm saying? Just to have a conversation, like, um, You'd reach out, we'd talk about it, and and go from there. But I don't feel like that happens. I don't know why. And I, I I'll, I'll just put it down to it's just me. You know? I'm just, I'm just a mean guy. So <laughs> that's it. Like everyone, stay away. <laughs> right. So uh, as is customary, I always like to wrap up with some quick fire questions. Right. And uh, as you're sort of at the end of your career, I think there's a is a good opportunity to look back on the whole thing. Um, yeah. And so we'll start with uh, your favorite basketball memory. My favorite basketball memory. Um, it might have to be. There's a couple. There's definitely a couple. I mean, winning the BBL Cup and winning the league that year. The year we we did that. Both of those memories mean so much to me because, like, I mean, it was just everything that I'm trying to play for, like. I feel like all the sacrifices we've been talking about earlier in my career, like not going to Europe, staying in London, um, potentially like like not trying to force scoring more points, like not trying to be that guy like that I feel like holds lots of players back was like justified in those moments. You know what I'm saying? Like raw, like Joe, you're the captain, hometown team. 200 years from now, when they look back in the history books, this will be here. Do you know what I'm saying? Like... Uh, that means so much to me. So just as the cup, was the first trophy we won, there was that. Um, and then obviously winning the league. And then we ended up winning the league in Newcastle, which, I mean, I don't want to make a big deal out of, but I feel like was just some sort of like, 
poetic moment. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I super like I super love Newcastle and uh, one thing I love about Newcastle were their fans because even though I was there for like a I wasn't even there for a full season, like they are always so good to me. Like they're so nice. Do you know what I'm saying? They always message me. They're always checking if I'm all right. Like they were big supporters of me. Like when I had my issue with the Lions, which I was like, this is kind of crazy because I never really ever considered going back to Newcastle. Like I said, I felt like it was the worst basketball career. I mean, basketball year, but like I did have a good time there. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm supposed to be quick fire questions, you know? <laughs> um, all right, cool. That's but good. yeah, the yeah. cup, the cup, um, the season, winning the, winning the league, Making it to the Commonwealth Games, um, I felt like that was just a huge accomplishment for myself. I really wanted to make it. Do you know what I'm saying? And I know lots of players never ever say those kind of things, like especially when they don't make it. But I really wanted to be on the team, and I made it to the team. So like, I thought like that was a great thing for me to do, especially it being like the last time I play internationally, like going to Commonwealth Games. And then obviously they don't even have five on five anymore. So. Which I think's mad. So if you guys are listening, yeah, I think you guys are crazy for that. <laughs> I think it, it depends on the host nation and what they want to do. So I think it could potentially be back. Is did they the sports change depend on the on the country that what, what they want to? Well, run, it's in, in Burma in a minute. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and was, we don't we don't want that year that was free on free supposedly. Um, <sighs> anyway, then uh, favorite coach you've ever played for? Favorite? Oh, come on. <laughs> um, I'm gonna say. Mark and uh, this is too hard this is too hard of a question it's too hard of a question because so many coaches like every every coach, every coach I've had except for one <laughs> I feel like has helped shape who I am today I have real a real deep connection with um, yeah so nah I can't, nah I can't do that one man I can't do that one Sorry. Best, uh, doesn't matter what they did at senior level, but the best British junior player that you've ever seen? I'm going to say, this is going to, this might sound crazy, but no, I don't think, Paul Guija at 16 was a fully grown man. <laughs> like, nah, brother. When he came to, um, I, rem- <laughs> I remember him coming to Whitechapel to play. He's playing under 18s. Yeah, he's not, he's, he's like, I don't know, 15 at the time. Yeah. Yeah, like, Paul was nice. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, the nicest. He, him, I even even Ben Eves in age group was a savage. Well, he ended up going to UConn, didn't he? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a savage. I remember him giving, like, 33 to Portugal when we was there, and I was just like, rah, like, how? How? Um... Yeah, don't, don't, them two, them two, them two pop into mind. Um, as yeah, man. Best individual performance you've ever witnessed? I've witnessed. Um, I'm gonna say Charles Smith, at the age, the tender age of 49, gave Durham 49 points. My rookie year at Newcastle. It he was, was 49, the 39, or 49. Oh, 39. Sorry. 39. I was gonna say. Whoa. Yeah, at 39, <laughs> he's 39 years old, and he gave him 49. Um, that was magical. Get me? Like, yeah, like he was giving them work. I just feel like Charles is so like unguardable. Like practice was long. Practice was long if you was guarding Charles. Probably six eight, he's got this turnaround fadeaway, like. No. The answer's no, bro. And then he's post game and then yeah, he played defense well. Like Charles, he, I, 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 like Charles didn't talk to me. 
for like the first two months I was at Newcastle. And I didn't get it until like last week. Do you know what I'm saying? I was just like, you've had hundreds of teammates. You've had hundreds. I get it, man. Like, yeah. yeah I mean. um, what do you think is your best individual performance of your career? Of my career? Yeah. It's probably going to be like, I don't know, a game I had two points or something. I don't know. I never really think about like my basketball like that. Like, um, yeah. I mean, it doesn't even need to be a statistical output, but where you just thought you were just in a zone at both ends, whatever it might be, and just played as you'd want to play. You know, as I'd want to play. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say like it's. It's. I'll just say it's individual moments. I feel like the moment in the playoffs where we was playing against Worcester, and then. <clears throat> uh, I don't know. It was like the second leg. Justin shoots, misses a shot, comes to me. I take a huge step back, shoot it, hit a three. And then we go through to the next round of the playoffs. Like, I just felt like moments like that, or even us in a trophy final against Royals that we go on to lose, there were like two big threes. Like in those moments, yeah. Like, because they're the moments, when I'm talking about basketball, these are the moments that I just think about at home. Like, I'm not talking about after they've happened. I'm talking about before, like, even though someone would be like, Joe, you've got no right to be thinking about taking the last second shot. That's the only, like, I only really, like, I get super, super, super gassed to play when, like, everything is on the line. Do you know what I'm saying? And I feel like, and this is what I felt like when we went to Europe at the beginning of the season, and, like, I felt like I played well in the game um, against Neptunus, right? Yeah, yeah. We played against us. Like Peter, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we played yeah. against them. Um, and I felt like I played well. And it was just like, these are the games that, like, I live to play. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, it might sound crazy, but, like, during, like, regular season games and stuff like this, like, I'm not saying I'm not interested. I understand how important these games are, like, to to be, to win all, every game. But, like, those games where everything's on the line, I just feel like it's just a moments that I enjoy living in. So any kind of moment that like, we was in those kind of scenarios and I was involved, I'm, I'm there for. So, yeah. like, yeah. Maybe maybe I'll throw the Europe the Europe thing in there. I would say there, come off the bench, energy, ha- energy, yeah. have a couple good points, get us get us going. That's you, you talked me into that one, but yeah, that is a that's a good one. I felt like I played how I would wanna. I presented myself how I wanted to present myself that game. Um, but yeah, like it's all of this don't matter when you lose the game in it. So, and then finally, the future next three to five years. Where do you want to be? What are the big things that you're working on? Um, yeah, what should we be looking out for from from Joe? Um, Sam, uh, I'm gonna continue working on the YouTube channel. Uh, that's like a big priority. There's other things that past YouTube that I'm just trying to stick my toe into and investigate. Just around. I'm trying my hardest. I'm trying my hardest. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't. I don't like talking about so mu- so much of the yeah logistics of like future plan plans before I've hundred percent decided that's what it is. Yeah. So I'm definitely working on the YouTube channel. Um, I like to stay involved with British basketball at some capacity because I feel like for British basketball, not they need it, but like I think if I was to like fully like step away. There's just no connection there. Do you get what I'm saying? You've got to stay involved. You've got to stay, still know kind of what's going on. I feel like that might be difficult for me depending on like 
how certain things go with certain organizations but that would be something i would like to keep doing and yeah just like i don't know just enjoy enjoy my life in it do you know what i'm saying like i think that's really the most important thing for me like stepping into this new phase like not feeling like something's missing and right now i don't feel like that and i don't think i'm gonna feel like that but like i can't tell the future in it like maybe when it gets to december and i'm like raw like, i might miss practice or something like that so i don't know but next three to five years i'm just gonna say we're gonna work on a youtube channel for working on a youtube channel and we'll keep keep tuned to see uh, anything new that drops but joe thank you so much for coming through it is much appreciated it's been a long time coming and you know obviously to to be willing to come on this platform and obviously announce your retirement it is a huge honour. Um, it's been a pleasure to follow your career. Uh, looking forward to seeing everything you have uh, in your back pocket for the next few years. Um, yeah, I wish you all the best with it. Sam, appreciate you for that. Just being you, doing what you do. Don't stop. And you know what I'm saying? Get the mission done. Do you know what I'm saying? If there's any way I can help, I'm available. I'm around. I'm around. 100%. Thank you, Joe. You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Hey, podcast listener. Bet you weren't expecting to hear from me again. Now that you've listened to the show, please take two seconds to take your podcast player out of your pocket and give us a rating and review on iTunes. It would be massively appreciated and goes a long way in helping us spread this content far and wide. Literally take your phone out of your pocket right now. Uh, open up your podcast player. Go to the Hoops Fix podcast. You'll see the option to leave a rating and review. Drop us a five star if you love it. And uh, if you could take two seconds just to write a review as well, it would be massively, massively appreciated. Thank you and speak to you next week.